This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. We get you rolling on a Wednesday. Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What it be, what it be. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Eddings producing today's show. You out there. We got a whole heck of a lot of things to dive into now. I was going to say that the smoke is clear, but apparently there's a lot of smoke out there. Proverbially speaking, though, the dust has settled. The smoke is cleared on the Flyers trade. And what could be next? We'll dive into that a little bit later on. Kevin Durso, who joined us yesterday when the trade happened. Now that the smoke is cleared, he'll be back to clear some things up on the Flyers organization moving forward and what that trade signals for him. Game three of the NBA Finals tonight. Keith Smith's in the house to talk a little NBA playoffs. Finals, I should say. We're at the finals, man. The finals are here. Game three tonight. It feels like the NBA has been gone for so long. They last played on Sunday, so nothing on Monday, Tuesday. We're back tonight with the NBA Finals on 97.3 ESPN. Mosher's back with football at four. We'll talk a little Eagles with him as they have a day off today. If you have been following the OTAs, they practiced on Monday and Tuesday. They're off today. They're back tomorrow. And uh, we'll talk more Eagles and NFL. Get into the NFC East a little bit with Mosh today. Sound of the day, we've got uh, some reaction to the Live Golf combining or merging, if you will, with the PGA but I guess we have to start with the Phils last night. Uh, a lot of people, you know, you watched the game last night. It was over in two hours and seven minutes. It was a quick one. And if you missed the leadoff, man, you know, Kyle Schwarber, he hit one pitch over the wall. And that was all of the offense in the entire game last night, you know. We often have conversations on this show regarding Schwarber and where he should hit in the lineup. Last night's one of those nights where he led the game off. He gives you that energy. And you're not going to get a leadoff home run every single time he bats, obviously. But that is the advantage of having someone like him in that leadoff spot, especially when your team is struggling to generate consistent offense. When you can get that guy to start the game off like that, it really should give you a little bit of a lift. Unfortunately, it didn't give the offense a lift, but Taiwan Walker was excellent last night. And we talked many times over the last, you know, 10 days or so about different things that the Phillies are doing to hopefully make it feel like they're turning a corner. And we saw good starts two in a row from Ranger Suarez. We saw a big night offensively from Trey Turner. We've gotten much better at bats and production from Kyle Schwarber. But really, the moment of the night last night is Taiwan Walker and the game that he has. Walker, seven scoreless innings. Phillies have won four in a row. Are they starting to turn the corner? I don't know. I don't think there is a turning the corner. You're going to win games. You're going to lose games. But can you start to compile consistent play and some consistent outings? And you're getting that from the starting rotation right now. You know, they gave up seven runs with Zach Wheeler on the mound on Friday night. Now he's back on the mound tonight. 
But since Wheeler threw against the Nats on Friday, they've given up two, three, three, and last night nothing. And tonight you'll get Wheeler back to try to come full circle and say, you know what, a week's worth of good pitching. Because before that, the Phillies staff had pitched well in the series against the Mets. They lost 2 nothing. They lost 4-1. to one. They lost 4-2. to two. They couldn't score in that series. But the pitching seemingly has started to come around a little bit. And last night, Walker was the Walker. No, actually, he was better than the Walker that you thought you were signing in this offseason. You know, when they brought Walker here, he was supposed to be a more consistent upgrade over your middle-of-the-rotation guys like Kyle Gibson and Zach Eflin, who'd been hurt a lot. And he was supposed to be the guy that came out, and you knew you were going to get six quality innings from most of his starts. You can't get that every single time out. But he's been horrible this year. Well, last night he was excellent. Still too many walks with the three walks. But the eight strikeouts, he had a really good off-speed pitch last night. He gave up just the two hits. His ERA dropped. My Lord, his ERA was almost six when the night started. It dropped all the way down to 504. So Walker really had a kind of a defining night for him. You know, Walker leads the team in wins, believe it or not. His five wins are the best on the team. Him and Nola uh, have five wins. So Walker, five and three. Great outing last night. Look, this is a bad Tigers team. But look, Detroit's 26 and 33. They're no different from where the Phillies are right now in terms of how they've played. And I know you're saying, well, the Phillies haven't played all that well. I just saying, don't act like the Tigers are the Oakland A's. They're not a team that's won 17 games and just kind of floundering along. They've been kind of middle of the road up to this point. Now, that being said, the Tigers are not a good baseball team, and we talked about it yesterday. I'm going to be pretty disappointed if they lose the game tonight, if they even play the game tonight. There is some thought that they may not play the game because of the air quality in Philadelphia right now. But I asked for five out of six in the series with the Nationals and the Tigers, and right now I'm on pace to get that because guess what? If Zach Wheeler loses this game tonight, I will not be happy tomorrow. There's not too many things that get me that upset and angry when we come to a June baseball game. But I'll say this. Zach Wheeler cannot lose games to the Detroit Tigers. You just can't have him lose back-to-back to the Nationals and the Tigers. These are the kind of things that just annoy you throughout the course of a baseball season. When your ace is on the mound and you lose against the Nationals, that ticks you off. If you follow that up with a loss to the Tigers, that makes it worse. Now, just because you lose to the Nationals on one night and the Tigers on another in the middle of June doesn't mean you can't turn your season around and win a game in October. But it's frustrating to see when you have your ace and you are kind of stuck in a little bit of a hole here. Look, the Phillies are not in a deep hole. They're three and a half games out of the wild card spot. But there are moments in a season that start to become your defining moment. And it was exactly this week last year that the Phillies won nine in a row. Well, if they win tonight, that would be five in a row. And to get that five, I need the ace to step up on the mound and tow this team to victory. Now, they won last night with Walker. It was really the exact replica of a game that you would draw up in the offseason. 
pitching-wise. Walker gets a quality start. Dominguez and Kimbrell gets the save. This team was built to have some solid pitching with Nola and Wheeler and Walker and Suarez. Those four guys should give you a good chance to win every single time you go out there. Those four guys should really give this team an opportunity to have quality starts every single start they take. Yes, if you make 35 starts, there might be eight games where you just don't have it. But even the other games where you just don't have it, they should be competing at a level that keeps teams in the game. And that hasn't happened so far this year with this pitching staff. And this bullpen is put together in a way that you have Dominguez, a guy who's closed games. You have Kimbrell, a guy who's closed games. You have Alvarado, who's been one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. You've got Soto, who you brought in here to be that left-handed um, you know, he's closed games as well, by the way, Soto. This is a team that has the bullpen, should have the pitching, and now if they can get themselves healthy and moving in the right direction in terms of some of the guys. Schwarber, who, by the way, when we started this week, was hitting 160. Friday, when we were live in um, at the uh, Hope Ranch event, Ranch Hope event, excuse me, um, Schwarber got moved to the leadoff spot. And we were a little surprised that, wow, they're going back to Schwarber at the leadoff spot. Well, it has seemingly worked. They won Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and now Tuesday with Schwarber hitting leadoff. And since he's been put into that spot, he has done nothing but produce. He had two homers. He walked three times. And last night, he was responsible for the only run and one of the only hits. The team had three hits last night. Can you imagine you paid for a ticket to go to the Phillies game last last night? If you were one of those late-arriving fans, you might have got 45 minutes of that game. <laughs> I mean, it was two hours and seven minutes, that game last night. And if you missed Schwarber's home run, you didn't see a run. And you only saw, if you missed Schwarber's home run, you only saw five hits the entire night. The Tigers struck out 13 times last night. But Schwarber up to 173. You know, the one discouraging thing, I guess, if you want to take a look at some of the negative stuff, and I have no adversity to some negative here, Trey Turner went four for five with two home runs the other night. I don't think he has a hit since. He didn't get a hit the night before, and he didn't get a hit last night. Bryce Harper has been struggling along. He's under 300 now. His on-base percentage is still 394, which is excellent. But Harper's starting to scuff along a little bit here. And then the rest of the lineup last night was just insignificant. You know, they've got to figure out something to do with the right-handed at bats at first base or third base. Drew Ellis, obviously, was a great story. couple dingers in a game. But you can't have Drew Ellis in your lineup three days in a row. So they got to figure out something there. I get it. Bohm is hurt. There's got to be a better option than Drew Ellis being penciled into your lineup every day. And if it's Sosa, it's Sosa. But they've got to figure out something to do with the right-handed at-bats at first base and or the right-handed at-bats at third base, with, with Bohm, especially with Bohm out. But right now... 
the lineup is starting to settle in a little bit. Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, Turner, Realmuto, Stott, Marsh. If they can get Bohm back, and let's hope that Bohm is, you know, ready to be activated. I haven't heard much on Bohm. That's not a good sign. He has a hamstring problem. So I don't know if it's just going to be as simple as him having a 10-day IL stint and then he's right back into the lineup ready to go. He, You know, that, that, a hamstring situation, depending on the severity of it, that could be a, a much longer. Sometimes these guys in the NFL, they're missing three, four weeks with a hamstring problem. But getting bone back in this lineup, you always think about, what does one guy do for a lineup? How much it just lengthens the lineup to get that one guy in there? And if, like, you could get him back, like last night, for instance, they had a left-handed pitcher start that game, you probably would have seen Bohm hit between Stott and Marsh and split those left-handers up. And then all of a sudden you have Marsh hitting in the seventh spot and you don't need Ellis in the lineup. So then, of course, you have Real Muto, Stott, Bohm, Marsh, and then, you know, probably Clements, I guess, last night. Lineup will not be out probably for a little while. Actually, the game's a little earlier today. It's a 6 o'clock start for whatever reason. So we'll see if the Phillies put their lineup out there a little earlier. But I wouldn't expect – who's pitching tonight? It's a guy named uh, Reese Olsen. Um, Mike Wheeler's overrated. On the side note, the Coy Deppner neck beard isn't a good look. Um, yeah, the, the the neck beard's not great. You got to trim that up a little bit. I don't think Wheeler's overrated, though. I think Wheeler is about where I mean. I think he is a low end number one, kind of a high end number two. Is that overrating him? I think that's what most people see him as. I don't think anybody thinks he is a. Top shelf A. I don't know what you're rating. Put it this way. You're saying he's overrated. How are you rating him? I think people look at Wheeler as a low-end one, a high-end two. I don't think he is looked at as this dominating ace pitcher. So I don't know what you're rating him to. So to say he's overrated, I don't know. What's the rating? Who's rating him? What's the rating? Where are? Where do you see people rating him as? If, they, if you're saying... People are saying he's a top-level number one. No, that's not the case. Wheeler is not a top-level number one. He's never really been that guy. He's had flashes. He's got great stuff at times. It's a little too inconsistent, um, but I don't think he is overrated. I think he's kind of a low-end one, kind of a high-end two. Um, His problem has been health. When he was with the Mets, he had a lot of health injuries, um, uh, injuries, uh, issues, I should say. But he had flashes with the Mets. In 18, he won 12 games. In 19, he won 11 games. Both of those years, he had ERAs under four. Uh, And with the Phillies, in the two years so far with the Phillies that he has been here, um, other than the COVID year, we're only pitching 11 games. But he was excellent that year, but that's out the window. But the two years with the Phillies, his ERA's been under three. (laughs) In today's game, if your ERA's under three, especially, you know, with before – um, the shift being kind of taken out. Now, you drop that, and your ERAs are going to go up a little bit. But how many guys over the last three seasons, Wheeler's one of them, 282, 1.04 whip, that's excellent. 278 ERA, 1.01 whip, that's really good. And the year before that, 
292 ERA and a 1.17 whip. You're looking at a guy who historically, his career, 207 games, his ERA is 347, which, you know, it's not like Hall of Fame, but 347 is good. It's not great. But his whip of 120, 120 is about the spot. You know, if you can get under 120 whip, that's really good. 120 is like really good. You know, it's like right on the cusp of being really good. So I don't know that um, is, um, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know why uh, the, the guy randomly said uh, Wheeler is overrated, but I don't know what you're rating him to. That, that would be my take on that. Um, my thought is he's a low one. High two. Um, Mike, I have tickets for the game tonight. They just emailed me and said the start time has been delayed because of air quality. The game now starts at 8. Is that accurate? I'll have to look that up. I mean, I'm not saying that you're a liar. I just I have not seen that yet. Um, I'm sure we'll see it pretty quickly. 609-403-0973. Um, let's see. Phillies tonight. Uh, closing out the series. No, I have not seen this anywhere yet, but if you're saying you got an email, maybe send that forward email over to me if you got it, because I haven't seen it yet. But, hey, Phil's starting to play better ball. We talk a lot about – here's one thing that, that I, I want to get out there that I think we, we should really – and this is with all sports, and it's counterproductive to what I do for a living, but I don't care. I mean, it's my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. The Phillies are fine. <laughs> I've been saying this all year. You guys who listen to this show, have you heard me waver at all about this team being fine? At all. The Phillies are fine. Making outlandish claims about a team, a baseball team, in April, May, and June will usually leave you looking foolish. Now, if we enter the season knowing that the team is not going to be any good, of course you're going to say, this team stunk. You never thought they were going to be any good. That's not an outlandish claim because your claim at the beginning of the year was you didn't think they'd be any good. Most people listening thought that this team was a playoff team minimally. I'm not saying they're going to win the World Series, but at the minimum you thought this is a wild card team. To make the outlandish claims that I've heard this year about this team through April, May, June baseball games. We're not even through June. We've had April and May baseball. We're not even through June yet. And the outlandish claims that I've heard about this baseball team are just mind-boggling. This Phillies team is fine. If your expectations were set correctly, that's the difference. If you have irrational expectations, your takes will become irrational. If you have level-headed expectations... This team, to me, was a wild card team, not a division winner, a wild card team. And at the beginning of the year, I said the season would not be fun. There'd be ups and downs, too many injuries, too many new pieces, too many new parts. The Phillies are fine. Outlandish claims on April and May baseball were six days into June. Here's my outlandish claim about this team right now. And it's not outlandish, it's realistic. The outlandish claim about this team is they're actually better right now than I thought they would be. With all the things that have happened with this team, is it outlandish just for me to say they're actually better than I anticipated? How the heck is this team, where they are, 
with the production they've gotten from Trey Turner, Harper missing all the time. I, I don't get it. They're 29 and 32. This team should probably be five games worse. If they can continue to turn things around, and by the way, Pittsburgh is losing right now, and I don't want to go scoreboard watching in June. It's really ridiculous. But it just kind of sums up how ridiculous people sound. Pittsburgh is in the wild card right now. And Pittsburgh's a fun young team. I think they're kind of moving in the right direction with some young players. But it's a long season for Pittsburgh, man. It's a long season for them to have to really scratch and claw every night. In fact, Pittsburgh has now dropped in the Central. They were leading the Central. They're now a half game back in the Central. So they're in the wild card. And if they lose today, Philadelphia would pick up a half a game before they even play tonight. And Pittsburgh is currently the third wild card team. Just to put into perspective of how ridiculous it sounds to talk about how good or bad a team is on June the 6th or 7th. I guess it's June 7th today. Have you seen anything about the Phillies game being moved to 8 o'clock tonight? I have seen nothing yet. I keep scrolling and checking things and looking, and unless I miss something in the last, like, 60 seconds. All right. Well, if you're that guy who texted in. I keep seeing pictures about what's going on in New York City right now. Yeah, well, I definitely know. Look, I, uh, Scott Lauber, uh, who covers the Phillies and who's been on our show plenty, he tweeted out a little while ago that MLB is closely monitoring the air quality situation in Philly. But as of now, the plan is for the Tigers and Phillies to play at 6 o'clock as scheduled. Both teams do have an off day tomorrow. So this was an hour ago that he said their plan is to play. Now, I was outside a little while ago. I'm not sure. I'm in Northfield. I didn't know. I didn't notice anything. Did you? Is anybody out there noticing any air quality issues? The only thing I noticed is last night in this morning there was definitely a smell outside. It, it was almost like a a mix of like uh, kerosene and like burnt plastic. <laughs> okay, not a great smell. I mean, I am seeing a lot on on social media right now uh, about what is going on with. Uh, the air quality up there, but I have not seen anything that suggests they are going to delay the game and or cancel the game at this time. So if anybody has, uh, like that gentleman who, who, who texted in, it could I be a did lady. just get a, so LaGuardia has grounded, uh, all flights for right now till the smoke. Clears. And this is from Canada. So there's a fire going on in like Nova Scotia, New Brunswick and, there's a lot of uproar going on because – and I don't want to get into the politics of this. It's not for us. But apparently Canada is not handling it well, and people are really mad about it. Okay. Well, I just asked where it's coming from. Yeah, I don't no- care who's handling what. Just where – Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. Okay. So that is the origin of why the air quality is poor. Yeah. It's trickling down this way. It's similar to what happened – I believe it was, what, last week when the, the fire happened up in the Pine Barrens? Yeah. And it trickled down. They closed off the parkway for a day. That's Sports Bash coming at you on a Wednesday. Uh, to the guy who texts me that uh, that um, Josh sounds like a serial killer, I agree. The I way you know you, what a serial killer is. The way about. you described the smell of the air, you said, makes you sound like a serial killer. And I said, I agree. How would you know what a serial killer sounds like? I've listened to the tapes. Do you not watch those on Netflix? No. Well, 
Well, listen, Doug, now you'll know what a serial killer looks like. And it sounds a lot like what you just said. Mike, I'm out in Hamilton listening to your show. It's really hazy out here. I'm driving on Maze Landing Road. All right. So we got uh, some smoke out that way. New York City, they're saying outside and just breathing the air is equivalent to smoking a six-pack of cigarettes. I've never smoked a cigarette, so I don't know what a six-pack of cigarettes would smell like. Nor am I a serial killer, but my producer is. Uh, I'm in Northfield. I can see it, and my car is covered in it, but I don't notice breathing problems. I don't notice it. I didn't notice it. I was outside. I actually walked to lunch today, too. I did not notice anything. By the way, that Newark, oblivious? Newark it just shut down uh, all flights up into this as well. In EHT near Giuliano's, smoky and foggy. We'll have to run around the corner from us here. All right, I'm going to have to pop my head outside, see what's going on. I'm watching, um, what show is this, uh, Max Kellerman, uh, what's it called? This, this Just, just In. in. Yeah. This Just In. It looks really hazy in the uh, outside the windows behind him there. So maybe the Phillies game might, I have not seen any time delay or anything like that. Hey, coming up next, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. James Harden is torn between re-signing with the Sixers or going back to the Rockets. That's next. Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Two thirty one Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Mike, I'm an upper. It's definitely hazy, but I just walked a couple of miles and had no issues breathing. Yeah, I just went outside. It definitely is a little hazier than I remember when I went to lunch earlier, but I didn't have any uh, breathing issues out there. I do look at uh, a lot of these pictures online. New York right now, it looks, they're saying it looks like a Marvel movie over there. I don't know that the Phillies are doing anything with this game yet, though, as one text message suggested earlier that the start time could be compromised. And if something happens and I see that, uh, I will let you know. I have not seen that. That gentleman said he got an email. He has not produced that email. I'm not calling him a liar, but I don't see that confirmed anywhere at this time. So as we know, the Phillies tonight supposed to be six o'clock, and as of right now, that's where we are. Has a Major League Baseball game ever been postponed due to poor air quality? I don't know that that's ever happened. I'm sure there's been maybe like a Dodgers or Giants game due to like the other forest fires that happen in California, which seems to be every like four years. Poor air quality. It sounds like. Uh, I remember years ago, the Raiders had a game moved, a preseason game, because of the forest fires years ago. I have to double-check when exactly. I remember that happening. All right. Well, we'll uh, keep our eye on that. Phillies, um, it is kind of crazy how, I mean, you're saying this started in, in, in Canada. Yes. And that it has made its way, you know. It's not like Canada's like we're bordering Canada here in, in South Jersey. I mean, we're kind of far, you know, even New York is pretty far away. Well, and why for the air are, quality to be yeah. down to this level that it could affect the baseball game. Uh, Michael Kay, who is the Yankees broadcaster, has a picture and just says, present it without comment. And it's just a picture of Yankee Stadium that just looks like it is immersed in a haze. By the way, it was 2018. The Raiders-Chargers game was moved because of forest fires. They scheduled the start time and the stadium was changed. Uh, gentleman tweeted at Mike Gill Show. Uh, gentleman at SJMedic911 said, This is coming south, taking it EWR, which I believe is Newark Airport. 
Um, it is like an orange picture. I mean, the picture looks like somebody put a filter on it yes. that has like the, um, you know, like if you put on, um, like glasses, like those yellow, like, um, glasses. You mean those, like, like those, the, um, those special, like, glass filters for, like, sunlight or something? Yeah, like people who wear, like, you know, the, the, like, the, and it, like, makes everything look, like, really yes. orangey. I hate That's those. what the picture looks like that that guy just sent me. So, I, apparently, it, it, you know, I just went outside during the break there. I popped my head out the front door, and it definitely seems to be coming down this way. Uh, John Morosi just tweeted, MLB officials are tracking environmental conditions in New York ahead of the Yankees-White Sox game. League officials are in communication with medical and weather experts. As of now, first pitch remains scheduled for just after 7. So I would imagine that if they are looking at things at the Yankee game, they probably got to be looking at things at the Phillies game, right? I would assume that baseball is looking at everything because this is I'm just saying because of the proximity. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe Florida situation. is not dealing with this right now. No. But the two Northeast, you know, if Boston was at home, I don't know if they are or not. But the fact that if New York is looking, I would imagine that Philadelphia also has to be looking. So that 6 o'clock game could be a little bit in peril. We'll keep our eyes on that. Mike McGarry will join us coming up in a little bit as well. Uh, James Harden reportedly torn between staying in Philadelphia and going back to Houston. That according to Sham Serenia of The Athletic, who said this on the Ryan Rossillo podcast. Take a listen. We're less than a month out from free agency starting. I, I really think that he's torn with the prospect of staying in Philadelphia or moving on to Houston potentially and returning back to his home. And that's where his roots are. His family is there, of course. They've got upwards of 60. They could make even more money available 70 you know close to 70 million in cash so they're going to have a ton of money and i think this is a team in houston where i I do believe they're going to be aggressive in the marketplace you know potentially two-year deals out there balloon type deals i mean i've heard them you know whether it's dylan brooks brooke lopez you know obviously james harden they're going to be a team that's going to be trying to beef up that roster now whether that's you know anywhere from three to five veteran players He's torn, I would imagine, for two reasons. One, does he want to just go home? Does he just want to go make more money? Or does he want to play in a high-energy environment like Philadelphia that has a shot to go deep into the playoffs and potentially win a championship? He's torn on, do I want to go back out there and be criticized because I can't get it done? He's torn because... Is he going to be the first guy to sign the contract? And is everybody else going to follow him? The names he mentioned, Brooke Lopez, Dylan Brooks, and others. They have a ton of money to spend, but how are they going to spend it? He's torn because there are so many questions that simply don't have answers right now. On the other side of things, he's torn because he wants to remain friends and have a relationship and You know, I don't want to say loyal because there is no loyalty when it comes to business at this level generally. But when James Harden looks back, does he want to turn his back on the guy who got him out of the situation that he didn't want to be in? Daryl Morey. So he's torn because he has his family, he has his home, but he also has his guy. 
And he's torn to me between a decision of going home and being more comfortable with his surroundings or making the decision to stay in Philadelphia. Look, either way, he slices it. If he goes and chooses to go to Houston, he's going to get looked at as the guy who chose money over winning, right? Any way you slice it, there's no way that you can say that Houston's in a better position to win right now than Philadelphia. But it sounds a lot like Daryl Morey is kind of calling James Harden's bluff here a little bit, right? Well, he has to because the whole point of their meeting last summer was, hey, take less money, give me a chance to build this roster to get you to the NBA Finals. And frankly, if you're Daryl Morey, you feel like you did your job. If you're James Harden, Part of the reason why you need to feel conflicted is because if James Harden is being honest, he has to look at himself in the mirror and say, I let my teammates and Daryl Morey and his organization down in game six and seven. Well, he's let everybody down in game sixes and game seven throughout the course of his career. I guess my question is, is he tired of that? (laughs) Does he just want to play, make his money, go have his fun, live where he wants to live, and not worry about being the guy in game six. Like, is he, is he at peace with, you know what? I don't care if I win a championship. I'm making money. I'm partying. I'm having the time of my life. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm asking, is that where he is in his mind? I, I have no idea. I mean, because if that's if choosing Houston over Philly right now and they're both going to pay you monetarily the same. Now, Texas, you make more money because of taxes and right. all that stuff. What kind of decision are you making? A monetary decision or a competition? My answer to that would be if James Harden is at least honest with everybody about what he, his decision is, I think people are more likely to accept it. I think the problem for a lot of fans is when these athletes don't just come out and say what they mean and mean what they say, then the fans don't trust them. Sports Fast Live, 97.3 ESPN. We've got Phillies possibly in a postponed situation or maybe a delayed situation because of the air quality. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Pass. Mike McGarry over at PressOfAtlanticCity.com says the Phillies offseason beginning to look better and better. We'll explain coming up next right here as Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City and PressOfAC.com joins me to talk a little fills and some other things right here on the Sports Pass. Coming up at 3 o'clock. We'll talk some Flyers with Kevin Durso. Get his thoughts on that trade from yesterday. We'll check in on the Phillies lineup. The NBA Finals tonight. Football at four. Sound of the day. Hope you'll stay with us all day long on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 246 on the Sports Bash. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City has a good column today. His must-win column 
at pressofac.com. He says the Phillies offseason is beginning to look better and better. It's kind of interesting to hear those comments for a team that's 29 and 32. But finally, they're getting some contributions from the guys they signed. Had a text message in the break that says, Mike, every team in baseball has had injuries and guys underperforming. A team with a $250 million payroll should be better than 29 and 32. Yes, they should be better. But the guys they paid the money to get to $250 million haven't performed. Hence, they are 29 and 32. And the way they performed makes it amazing to me with the injuries and the lack of production that they are actually 29 and 32. Doesn't mean not disappointing, but Mike, you're seeing signs from offseason signings that they are starting to feel more comfortable and turn the corner. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's an optimistic way to look at it. And uh, since I'm a glass half full type of guy, as everybody knows, that's the direction I'll go in, basically, (laughs) you know. I mean, it couldn't get much worse, right? But, you know, you have Trey Turner start looking to hit. He's hitting the ball hard. He hits the two home runs uh, Monday night. I was at the game last night. He would have had another home run last night if it wasn't for the smoke or the wind blowing in or whatever's going on with the sky right now. So he would have had another one last night. And Taiwan Walker, who's been inconsistent, delivered his best start of the season. And and one guy who I think has outperformed expectations is Craig Kimball. I don't think anybody thought we'd be getting the Craig Kimball of, you know, 2015-16. But that's what we've gotten so far. So, again, like you said, they've underachieved. They're three games under 500, But there are signs that they're turning the corner. And they better turn the corner quick because – you know, uh, it, it's getting late. I, I think if they're under 500 when June's over, then you're looking at an uphill climb to the playoffs. Yeah, it was at this exact moment last year, Mike, that they went on a nine-game win streak. And that kind of was, you know, the jumping-off point for them to kind of get themselves. They're on a four-game win streak late right now. Wheeler pitching tonight. You hope to make it five straight. But if they get on that type of run, will that make – people and maybe you and others say yes this team is turned the corner and they are ready to make that you know postseason run yeah i mean the baseball season to me is now one of those like olympic ten thousand meter races where everybody kind of runs in the pack for the first nine thousand nine hundred meters and then sprints the last hundred meters right but in order to do that you've got to be in that pack you've got to be in that lead pack so i think what they have to do now is get in that lead pack and to me that's right around 500 at the end of june and, it, and it's not going to be easy i mean you've got detroit now who's okay but you've got the dodgers coming in this weekend then you go on the road you have arizona who's maybe the surprise team in all of baseball then you have oakland one of the worst teams in all the baseball and then you have the braves and the mets coming in to citizens bank park so the opportunity is there. It's not going to be easy. But like you said, it's almost, you know, now or never. You have to put yourself in position to where you can make that sprint at the end of the postseason. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Turner and last night, you know, whatever. You were there last night. Was The game's won nothing. It's a two-hour game, two hours and seven minutes. Uh, was there – was the uh, atmosphere or whatever was going on, did that, did that affect that game last night, uh, being in the building? I mean, watch it on TV. They did talk about it a little bit, uh, but was it apparent that there were some balls hit last night that might have uh, had different uh, results? Yeah, I thought there were four or five of them hit last night. Uh, you know, Harper hit one, I think, in the first inning, you know, that would have gone out. Turner hit one. Uh, I think Real Muto hit one, too. You know, I don't know if it was the smoke in the air, the haziness in the air, or was it the wind blowing in, but there were four or five balls hit last night uh, that would have definitely, you know, I've said it 
Citizens Bank Park for hundreds of games. There were four or five balls hit last night that when they left the bat, I'm like, that's gone. And uh, they stayed in the park last night. So, again, a positive sign because, Mike, you can talk about the starting pitching, you can talk about the bullpen, you can talk about the, the defense, but, but the truth of the matter is the Phillies are built to hit their way out of trouble. In the regular season, they're built to mash their way to success, and they're built to hit home runs. They haven't hit home runs up until this winning streak. You know, they had a couple on Sunday. Uh, Turner has two on Monday. Schwaber hits one last night. They should have had two or three more. They're built to hit the ball over the fence. If they don't hit the ball over the fence, they're going to struggle. And that's the, the first two months of the season, they weren't hitting home runs. Well, what about, okay, and I agree, the lineup is, you know, you sign Turner, $300 million, You got Schwaber, you got Castellanos, you got Harper, you got Real Muto. I mean, yes, they're supposed to score. But I guess the thought is, too, Walker, Nola, Suarez, and 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 Wheeler. That we're going to get quality starts out of the pitchers. And if you look back to their last couple of uh, games now, past uh, except for that Friday night game against Washington, even when they got swept against the Mets, it seems that the pitching, the starting pitching at least, is starting to let them compete. Yeah, they've turned the corner a little bit there. Nola's pitched well. Wheeler had that bad outing, uh, like you said, on Friday night. But Suarez has been good his last two times out. Walker has been up and down. Uh, last night we got the good Walker. We'll see if he can build off that. The off days in the schedule means they can skip the fifth starter spot so they don't have to throw a bullpen game out there, even though they won the bullpen game last time they did it. So, you know, things are lining up for them to, to go on a little bit of a run here. They're hitting the ball better. The starting pitching is coming around. And like I said, you know, this is the time they sort of got in motion last year. You know, this is the time they're going to have to do it again. I'm not asking for 15 to 20 wins in a row, but I am asking them to be 500 or a game over at the end of June. And then I think you say, okay, you know, they're in position. Let's see what they do from there. Well, and you know Walker well from his time in New York. He's the kind of guy that he's going to dazzle one night and then frustrate you the other, pitch two really good games, and then, you know, you know, get blown up on a game. So uh, he's a guy, though, that they're, you're hoping to get those quality starts. I think the problem for him has been a command. Uh, his walks have been way up. Last night he still had three walks, even though he pitched pretty well. But that's been a big thing for him is the command has not been there. Yeah, he's been very streaky, even in his time with the Mets. His first season with the Mets, you know, he was lights out the first half of his first season and went to the All-Star game. And then the second half of the year, and even last year, he was okay. So he's a guy, you know, he's kind of a perplexing type of guy because he's 6'4", 6'5". You're thinking of a guy who gets out there and throws 97, 98, just kind of overpowers hitters. He's really not that type of pitcher. So it is a little perplexing. Uh, and he needs his explanation last night for why he pitched well. He just said he stayed loose between starts, fielding grounders in the outfield, and just felt more athletic. And that's why he was able to throw the ball harder i don't know whatever works for your works uh but they definitely need the taiwan walker they got last night and not the taiwan walker who went four innings against the mets in his last start mike uh james harden uh, according to shams he is torn between re-signing with the sixers or going back to the rockets uh what's the message from james harden possibly being torn what's he breaking down what's in his mind yeah, I mean, to me, it's a very simple question. Does James Harden want to win uh, or not? If James Harden wants to win, the one place for him is the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, you know, if James Harden wants something else out of his basketball career, then I guess he can go to the Houston Rockets. And I understand, you know, when I hear that or read that, it drives me absolutely crazy that, you know, the Sixers are almost held hostage 
by this guy who can't decide what he wants out of his career. Because unfortunately, I think if the Sixers don't bring Harden back as the roster is presently constituted, I think they take a step backwards. So they almost need Harden to win as much as that riles Sixers fans up and drives them crazy. Yeah. And I fully understand that it's it's absolutely infuriating to hear this guy sort of play out a, a Hamlet routine, a to-be-or-not-to-be routine over what he wants to do with his basketball career and hold the fate of your team in the palm of his hand. So. I get that. Uh, I get it's infuriating, but it's it's reality. And the question is, does James Harden want to win? If he wants to win, he stays in Philadelphia. If he wants something else out of his basketball career, he goes to the Houston Rockets and finishes up his career there. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. Of course, read his article about the newcomers on the Phillies finally proving their worth. It's over at PressofAC.com. Thank you, Mike. All right, we'll see you down the road, Mike. And the Phillies lineup is out tonight. And that Phillies lineup, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Clark's Moving and Storage, offering a wide variety of residential and commercial moving services, 609-889-0780. Here's the lineup for tonight. Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, Turner, Realmuto, Stott, Marsh, Clements, and Harrison. Is over at third base. I can see the Harrison haters throwing their phones right now, wondering why Harrison is in the lineup. If I would have said Sosa, you would have thrown your phone. And if I would have said Ellis, you would have thrown your phone also. <laughs> see how that works? No matter who was playing third base tonight, you would not have been happy. Translation. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Coming up. On the other side, Danny Briere said the Flyers are open for business. So who's moving next? This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after three on the Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN. Well, yesterday... The Flyers had made a trade, and, you know, the details were kind of coming out at the time we had Kevin Durso on the show. Plus, he was on vacation. He broke it all down for us pretty good. But now that the dust is settled, let's get some more insight, not only on the deals, Kevin Durso, but Danny Briere said the Flyers are open for business. So what does that say about the direction of this franchise and what we saw yesterday and uh, that seems to be the first domino what could be next uh, 97.3 ESPN.com Flyers Insider Kevin Durso is back here on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN alright KD what's up buddy what's up Mike how you doing all is good so uh, Flyers make news yesterday Proveroff traded they get three picks three players in return kind of give us an overview of the move and what kind of signals uh, for this Flyers team? Yeah, so a lot of the pieces that ended up being finalized in the deal we discussed yesterday, actually. So John Walker, Cal Peterson, we already kind of discussed the two of them. We didn't really know at the time about the prospect that's coming back, 21-year-old right-handed defenseman Helge Granz, who was a second-round pick of the LA Kings. You know, right-handed defensemen are a commodity, so you can't go wrong picking up one of them. And a 21-year-old fits the bill for what your future holds. You know, you're trying to find younger players, see what you can get out of them. So I think that's a great pickup to get in there. And then the draft picks, we had talked about the possibility of a first and a second-round pick. Turns out there was another second-round pick in there as well. 
there is one of the second round picks is conditional. So it might be, you know, it's either going to be 2024 or 2025, depending on if the condition gets exercised ultimately. But nonetheless, for Danny Briere's first trade as Flyers GM, to go out and make a deal that involves giving up one NHL roster player and two minor leaguers that ended up in L.A. and getting back two contracts that help to bolster the real meat of the deal, the draft picks and getting a prospect. It's a huge success for Briere to do that this early on and to really make that statement. You know, he might have said in the press conference they're open for business. He didn't have to with the way that that deal goes down, with what he gets back. They're very clearly looking to get draft capital, very clearly looking to maybe take on prospects, maybe even looking to take on contracts like they did from L.A. I look at the Sean Walker one in in particular because he's only got one year left on his contract at $2.65 million. That's very movable if he has a solid season this upcoming season. And you decide at the deadline, let's shop him too. Maybe you get another pick. So at the end of the day, this evolving trade could have even more moving parts to it halfway through the season and turn into one player, Cal Peterson, a prospect that could be part of your long-term future or maybe another movable part down the line and become go from three to four draft picks potentially. So Briere already opened the door for starting this offseason off with a bang and getting a lot of what he needed to start getting, which is draft capital and maybe some younger players. Yeah, and I guess, you know, we, we did discuss a little bit yesterday, but I want to go a little further on Carter Hart's name being mentioned. Is there any follow-up to that today? One, and number two, I mean, most people, when you got off, when we talked about the deal, they saw this deal and thought that Hart would bring even more in return than Provorov were. So where do you stand on where a Hart deal could be currently right now? How do we know there? And would you anticipate a bigger haul in return for Hart than they got for Provorov? Yeah, so I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on the Carter Hart talk. Don't hold your breath anticipating a follow-up trade from the Provorov one in the immediate. Nothing appears imminent. At the very least, I think that the last 24 hours have shown the evolution of what could be on the way. If going into this offseason, and even when Briere had, met, had brought it up about listening on everybody and Carter Hart was part of that, look, if he says they're going to listen on everybody and Carter Hart's included, he's going to get phone calls. So even if he's not actively looking to trade him, if he says he's listening, he'll get phone calls. And I still would have at that time maybe put a 15, 20% chance on Hart actually being moved this offseason just based on saying you're listening because there's not really any smoke to that. It's, it's kind of a formality. They got to listen on everybody. After yesterday, I'd feel comfortable jumping that to a 50-50 shot because now there's way more smoke involved. I don't know that they're actively, as we talked about yesterday, actively working a deal, but there's got to be discussions for that kind of smoke to come out. So Briere's taking calls. Briere's listening on everybody. And the fact that he didn't balk at all on the mention of Carter Hart and the idea that, like, you know, didn't say – no, just because Cal Peterson's here doesn't mean we're trying to move him. You know, we still see him. He didn't He didn't exactly back him up with a, no, he's still the goalie of the future. He's still our franchise guy. We didn't just make this move just because. There's definitely more to this. I, I don't want to guarantee a heart trade this offseason because there's benefits to both sides. If you move him, the return should be significant. Absolutely. He's a 24-year-old going to be 25 when next season starts. 24, 25-year-old goaltender who's proven he can be a number one in the league, especially if he gets a gets on a team that has a strong support system so he's proven all of that and can be that player but 
you're going to be, if you're in Danny Briere's shoes, you're going to be very careful about trading a player that level because let's look at the difference between Carter Hart and Ivan Provorov. Like I said, Hart's 24 going on 25 into the season. Well, Provorov's 26. Optimistically, a rebuild you would hope maybe you could be contending for a playoff spot maybe in two to three years if all breaks the right way. But realistically speaking, it's probably closer to four or five years. Well, if you take Ivan Provorov's age and slap four or five more years on it. He's 30, 31 years old. Let's say four and he's 30 years old, 11 seasons under his belt. That's a lot of mileage. You start to wonder if he's going to be past his prime when you come out of this, or at least, you know, not as effective. Carter Hart's a little different. 24, 25, you take a goalie who's 28 years old, didn't debut as early as Provorov did. So he would be, you know, he was 20 years old when he debuted. So he'd be in maybe his seventh or eighth season at the time. There's a little bit of a difference. So if you think you can come out on the other side of this rebuild with Carter Hart as your goalie, then you think long and hard about it. But if someone makes you an offer that's as substantial as what you just got back for Provorov, you absolutely have to yeah. at least consider it. And like I said yesterday, maybe that's what makes you pull the trigger well, even though you have that goalie. And I, and I guess, I mean, just kind of spitballing here, if one of the key players you got back in return for a trade for Provorov is a goaltender, is it counterproductive to keep – that bring a goaltender back in return when you already have a goaltender. Like, I get it. You got all the picks and you got some other things, but I'm assuming you're taking Peterson on a flyer of, hey, this guy was really good. He has slumped. Let's bring him in and then use the guy we have to get a haul for more stuff and hope that this guy becomes like Bobrovsky did for everybody else when the Flyers gave him away. I mean, potentially, there's a couple different ways that this could go when you look at Peterson because Peterson could be Exactly as you're saying, part of the – maybe not the solution for the Flyers long-term, but playing for the Flyers you know, in place of Carter Hart. Yeah, that could be a possibility. You could also look at another goalie within the system. Maybe instead of Carter Hart, Felix Sandstrom's the guy that they look to move. It would not be for near as much of a haul, but that would be a solution to allow for both to exist on the same roster. Peterson also is the type of goaltender on his contract because he makes so much money that you could waive prior to the season and move him to the minors if you wanted to start – with Carter Hart and Sam Harrison or Carter Hart and Felix Sandstrom or whatever the combination is. I just think that in the early going, something else has got to drop here because very clearly you're making moves that are around draft capital, prospects, trying to get more in. You don't, you didn't just pick up Cal Peterson because you wanted another goal. You picked him up because that was your ticket to the other first round pick. That's how you get that level of capital when you agree to a trade that involves taking on salary and and taking on a contract that another team was looking to unload. The LA Kings made that that deal and freed up, you know, they didn't free up all of this space, but 5 million dollars is the cap hit for Peterson, 2.65 for Walker. They absorbed 2.25 million dollars of Provorov's contract before it went to Columbus, and they used the money that they saved overall in that picture to re-sign Vladislav Gavrikov, who's a defenseman they acquired at the deadline that they wanted to keep and wouldn't have been able to without a move like this. So that's how it helped them out. And maybe the Flyers are looking at the possibility of, you know, hey, if we take that type of contract and and agree to these types of deals, especially for where they are going into the upcoming season, it can lead to higher capital. And it's the same thing applies when you're looking at players like Hart where if that's the value play, if that's what's going to get you the most in return and really set this thing up, you know, we're three weeks away to, from today to the NHL draft. Mm -hmm. That's when all of this is going to happen because you got to imagine if they are looking to move Carter Hart or at least taking calls and entertaining discussion that 
at this point, they're looking for whatever draft capital they can get right now. This isn't about trading Carter Hart and saying, let's see if we can get another first rounder. They already have two in the 2024 draft. This isn't about getting another first round pick next year. This is about what can we do this year? Can we get it? Maybe, you know, maybe another first, maybe a high second. Can we figure something out that helps us? Yeah. And right now. Well, that's why they're not. So just to, to, you know, to, for the the listeners and and the the Flyer fans out there who are frustrated with where this team is and all that stuff, they're not Mm -hmm. making trades today uh, specifically, okay, let's trade Carter Hart to get better today. They're trying to make the long-term stability of this organization two to three years down the road, I guess. Exactly. You, you know, this is it's rebuilding 101. If you're going to state your rebuilding and you're actually following through with it, then you're going to subtract some things that make you a better team today and build towards the bigger picture. You know, them trading Ivan Provorov doesn't make them a better team today. They would be a better team next year with him on the roster than without. But when you have the opportunity to get a prospect and three draft picks back, including one in this year's first round, then you have to consider where you're going to be, what kind of you know, what kind of level of competition you're going to be facing and versus what level of play you're able to deliver right now, they're not close to the level of competition and the level of being competitive that they need to be to be even remotely in the playoffs, let alone contending for a Stanley Cup. So this is how you have to start the process and build by gaining a lot of draft picks and gaining that capital. And if it means, you know, Briere said it, if it means giving up a good player like Provrov, you have to do it sometimes. You have to kind of bite the bullet and understand that this is going to take some time to get back to where it is. But you can't keep moving forward with the same players and hoping for the best when it comes out on the other side and thinking they're part of the plan. Not everybody who's on this roster today is going to be part of the finalized rebuild plan. It's going to be guys who aren't even maybe not even draft eligible yet. You know, you're talking drafts two, three years down the line, potentially that are going to fill out this roster. So that's how you have to look at it. And that's why you entertain, you know, that's why you traded Provrov and it's why you at least entertain the possibility. Like I said, I'm, I'm holding it at 50, 50. I'm not saying you have to trade Carter Hart today or this off season, but it doesn't mean that he's off limits either. There's nobody off limits on the roster. And Danny Breer made that very clear with the open for business comments. All right. So they make two tra- or they made one trade. We think, there could be something else happening. They've got a new GM, a new team president, obviously showed a complete overhaul of the front office with uh, firing different scouts and developmental people. So completely new vision for this team, Kevin Durso. Does the coach fit into the vision? Not that I'm saying the guy stinks, or but it just seems like an odd place. Has he completely changed his vision of where he is as a coach. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I I think he has because he was the one speaking this language before anybody else. So he really ushered in this new era, and they had to kind of, as as an organization, they had to kind of put people around the coach to an extent. It's a little bit – it's definitely a backwards way of building it, but they had to put people around him that understood and were going along with the same message because Chuck Fletcher wasn't, you know, so – that's that's why that's why I said yesterday it took way too long to get past the Chuck Fletcher part of this because he handled an entire offseason. He probably had no business handling in the first place. You know, you get through another trade deadline where it goes sideways or whatever. And, you know, I found it kind of strange that Tortorella was so defensive of Chuck Fletcher in that time for, you know, not trading James and Reams Dyke and all that stuff like that at the deadline because it went against everything that Tortorella had talked about in starting a rebuild, being found, you know, getting to that foundational level, all of that. Now you hear things, you know, Tortorella kind of had already hinted 
during the se- during last season. Danny Briere is this, a, a really smart guy, and that you know he definitely is a smart hockey guy. But we didn't know what kind of you know when he gets hired as the full time GM and gets the interim tag removed, we didn't know what kind of GM Danny Briere was going to be. He hadn't made a move at the NHL level yet. For his opening statement to be like this and to be so resounding towards the rebuild, that says a lot about the direction of this team and the fact that they're all on board. And, and really, I think the important thing also is this was Danny Briere and Keith Jones with input from Tortorella, with input from scouts. Briere said he hadn't even seen the prospect play in person before. He leaned on scouts and analytics and all of the departments that this team has that are supposed to now be working in unison as they talked about and leaned on that to make a deal like this and kept the ownership group in the loop and kept everybody informed. And it was a cohesive team effort. And you know what you don't get out of that, though? You don't get somebody who's trying to patchwork things. You don't get somebody who's going against the rebuild message. You're not hearing from, you know, this is long from the days of Dave Scott being the ownership representation, Chuck Fletcher being the guy making the moves, the old guard that was there having an input on some things and maybe being called upon for advice or anything like that. This was Danny Briere making a decision with this new core pretty much surrounding Tortorella and Keith Jones and making a decision that went right along with everything that they said a few weeks back. So it's highly encouraging to see that this is the first, you know, kind of opening statement that they make on this offseason. Yeah, and I only asked about Tortorella because, you know, he's been a high-intense coach who has had uh, Stanley Cup appearances, and you would think that he's the kind of coach that you bring in for a team that is on the verge of winning now. It almost seems that he has, you know, just hearing him talk the other day, it makes it sound like, Kevin, that he has almost embraced being a developmental coach right certainly yeah certainly a little bit and you know the other part of his job that i think this past season was really important you know kind of involves ivan provrov and certainly a couple of the other players that they could be moving this offseason which is weeding out the players you know he's the first one who said addition by subtraction for this offseason and he would know better than anyone he just coached this team for the entire year he goes through the day-to-day process with these players so he would know Who's fitting into this plan and who's not? And who do you have to kind of move on from sooner rather than later? So that's why, you know, Ivan Provrov comes up first. You know, maybe not the first move that everybody thought was going to happen, but he certainly was a possibility going into this offseason. And this is where you start to turn towards, you know, you can't deny the Carter Hart stuff, even though, you know, Tortorella probably in, would be in agreement with keeping him like everybody else's. It doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do for a rebuilding franchise to get everything in as much as much in, in place as possible but then you take the other guys kevin hayes is very likely to be on the move this offseason tony d'angelo could be on the move and these are players that everybody could see it they, they didn't exactly see eye to eye with tortorella hayes and d'angelo so that's where you start to weed out the people who fit this plan as tortorella laid it out to kind of start with and then briere and jones come into the picture later when they finalize this new era front office that they have so yeah, I think Tortorella absolutely has embraced the idea of being developmental with younger players and also looking for the players that don't fit the timeline and don't fit the bill of what he would want. And I think it became pretty apparent pretty quickly with some of these guys that they weren't going to see eye to eye with him. He wasn't going to see eye to eye with them. And you were going to probably hit a crossroads when you got to the point yeah. where we're in the off season. The draft is coming up. This very, is when the activity is. Very interesting. Uh, Kevin Durso, our Flyers insider from 97.3 ESPN.com over at 97.3 ESPN. 
com. You know, um, right now you can check out uh, this blockbuster trade. Uh, as you talked about at the top, that Danny Briere opened for business. Uh, Briere is a guy, you know, it's not like he has experience in this job. I mean, he takes his job as an interim. Now he has it. Um, so how would you kind of, I don't want to say grade, but what kind of impression do you now get from Danny Briere running this team on what kind of GM he might be? Well, it shows me that he can go to every avenue to make this kind of trade. You know, you could make a trade to start this thing off. And let's just say maybe instead of Provorov, the first move was Kevin Hayes. Well, there's not going to be a ton of leverage. It's a harder contract to trade because it's got equal length and it's a longer, it's a higher cap hit. And Hayes isn't going to deliver what Provorov's able to deliver. Hayes was playing all sorts of different roles, all sorts of different minutes. There's not really any consistency there. Provorov gives you 25 to 30 minutes a night, and a team can find use for that. That's where they, that's where they see the value. To go into an opportunity like this, instead of just making a straight up player for player deal or a draft pick for player deal, he makes a deal that involves multiple draft picks, a prospect, taking back contracts with salary, getting a team, a third team involved to retain salary. Like he hit like every point that you could possibly hit as a general manager in this first trade instead. So to make such a complex trade and creative trade right out of the gate, you know, he's, you know, he talked about being kind of a studious player from a sense of being aware of what everybody around him was doing when he was a player, when, when he was with the Flyers and Paul Holmgren was his GM or going, eventually ending his career in Colorado and Joe Sackick's his GM, you know, watching guys like that. Well, sure looks like he took some good notes because he made a trade that certainly, at least today, you know, the draft picks and the prospect are gambles because you have to now do the the rest of the work, which is make the right picks and develop the players. But to get the capital, at least to start with, is a huge success for him on day one of this. And we'll see what happens now that they have this second pick in three weeks in the first round of the draft. They have more coming up, and certainly they could look to add even more picks with the guys that they could move in the next handful of weeks as we get closer to the draft and see what more they could do to build this team from the ground up. Yeah, real quick, I mean, what what does it mean for some of the quote-unquote veterans on this team? You know, Sean Couturier, who didn't play at all last year. Konechny, I mean, he's not a... Uh, old guy by any stretch, but they have a bunch of guys who have been around here for some time. Uh, what does their futures look like? Well, I don't, I don't think they want to get rid of everybody. And, you know, they've spoken. It's interesting because, you know, when we talk about guys like Provorov, Hayes, D'Angelo, these are guys that not necessarily like that have been kind of spoken about kind of discreetly. Like, Briere said about Provorov yesterday when in making the trade, you know, he wasn't going to get into the details of what maybe happened behind the scenes and just said it was in the best of interest for everyone involved. Well, that kind of tells you that there's some things that were not going well behind the scenes. That kind of tells you that maybe the player was frustrated, maybe was looking for a fresh start himself, and that's why you do that. They have spoken highly of Couturier and Konechny and guys like that, and it certainly doesn't mean that everything, you know, those guys aren't untouchable by any stretch but you're not going to try to completely dismantle the roster overnight either so you know what you know for Couturier he's going to be hard to move because he hasn't played in so long that you're pretty much going to get nothing of value in return for him he's going to have to at least play the contract's too big it's you know he's he just recently signed an extension so he's got seven more years to go on that contract they're not going to be able to trade him you know unless they retain so much salary and get very virtually nothing in return. But but Konechny's an interesting one because Konechny has, like Provorov to an extent, 
it's going to be a manageable contract and it doesn't have a lot of time left on it. It's only got two years left. So you've got something to work with there in terms of other teams looking at a player who can certainly contribute and maybe give you some significant value again. It doesn't sound like they're as interested in trading Konechny as maybe they were with Provorov, but you know, after yesterday, you never know. I mean, if Carter Hart is being discussed as a possible trade chip and certainly there's discussions, there can be discussions about anyone because Hart seemed like the closest thing to untouchable. And if he's not even off the table in all of this, not that he should be off the table by any stretch, but if he's not, then everyone is on the table to be in discussions. So that's really the status, especially if you're a veteran. I mean, if you're a younger player, you feel a little, maybe a little safer because if you're getting praise from the coaching staff and you're doing the right things, yeah, you know what? You could be through this whole process and be at the other side and be 25, 26 years old when it ends, not when it begins. But if you're in your late 20s, early 30s, I wouldn't be so encouraged about my future in Philadelphia if I was a player who had that level of veteran status. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Danny Briere pulls his first trade as Flyers GM and obviously a new regime in Philadelphia. Now, these are guys who are former Flyers. But it does have a different feel behind these guys as opposed to the former Flyers they kept kind of tapping into in their past, right? Yeah, definitely. You're looking for modern approach here. You're looking for people who see where the game is going and are ready to embrace that, are ready to get more of that level of talent. I think, you know, Briere played recently enough that he certainly knows where it's going. He retired after the 2013-14 season, so... Less than 10 years ago, he was an active player. And Keith Jones has been broadcasting the game for over 20 years at this point. And, I mean, for goodness sake, he's doing the Stanley Cup Finals for TNT right now. So he's seeing what the successful teams are able to do. And, you know, kind of easy, you know, kind of a good place to be between the benches to take notes on the speed and skill that's around the game and the other elements of the playoffs, the physicality, the grit, the the grind that is, you know, the, the level of intensity that increases in the playoffs. So you can do a lot worse than two guys who have watched the game evolve, been part of it at a very close level, know a lot of people in the game and can use that to their advantage. So certainly this is a, a much, this is certainly a much different approach than what we've seen over the years, especially the last decade. All right. Uh, Kevin Durso, more on this Flyers offseason right now over at 97.3 ESPN.com at Kevin underscore Durso and uh, Flyers making some news uh, yesterday, big time. And then we'll see what happens following that big trade. Is there another one down the road? KD, good to see you, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate uh, it. Kevin Durso, everybody, is back. The Flyers uh, finally doing something that have us uh, a little bit excited. Uh, now, is it exciting to trade Kevin uh, Kevin Durso? Carter Hart? I mean, he was a guy that you waited for. for. And look, I don't – he's not a top five guy that you're hoping for. But he's pretty solid, pretty steady for an organization that just never had a guy. But, you know, this is like having the closer on the worst team in baseball. No good having a goalie when you have nothing in front of them. So advocating this for me, if I got a goalie in that trade yesterday and I can move this goalie to get even more assets for where this team currently stands, you got to take that shot. More Sports Bash coming up on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We got a lot to do. Philly's lineup is out. We'll go over that again on the other side. Plus, Keith Smith going to talk a little bit about... NBA Finals Game 3 tonight, this hour. This is the Sports Bash, live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 3.32, Sports Bash. Take a look at the Phillies lineup tonight. We haven't heard any news on the start time of that game being moved, as uh, some people indicated earlier. But 6 o'clock tonight for the Phillies against the Tigers. Looking to make it five in a row with this lineup tonight. Brought to you by Clark's Moving and Storage. Phil's will send out the lineup with Schwarber hitting leadoff. I don't see any Schwarber hitting leadoff complaints today. I mean, I'm sure people are out there, but, I mean, it kind of seems foolish today, at least today. Hey, look, I don't know that he's going to hit a home run to lead off every single game, but uh, he provided the only one last night, and if uh, he was hitting somewhere else in the lineup, that might not have happened. So uh, last night, for anyway, it was a good spot for him in the lineup. He's back there again today. Schrober one, Castellanos two, Harper three. Turner's in the four-hole, Real Muto five, Stott hitting six, Marsh is seven, Clements is eight. And Harrison is nine. Wheeler is on the mound tonight. And uh, look, without Bohm, you're obviously the bottom half of your lineup really thins out with Clemens and Harrison having to hit in the eight and nine spots. I know Clemens, a lot of people, you know, this is where people always amaze me. Like, does anybody think Cody Clemens can play? I think the guy stinks for, for the most part. He has given you a nice little bit of, like, not being absolutely dreadful. But for the most part, Cody Clemens, and by the way, his father was my favorite player in the history of professional baseball, Major League Baseball. I am a huge Roger Clemens fan, regardless of what he may or may not have done. Cody Clemens is hitting two fifty six with four home runs and 10 RBI. Anybody else who was hitting two fifty six with four home runs, if he was anything decent, you would be ripping. You know, this guy sucks. He stinks. And everybody thinks Cody, oh, he's done a great job. No, Cody Clements has not done a great job. He's actually done an okay job. He hasn't been abysmal. But let's not act like, oh, man, they got to find more ways to get Cody Clements into the lineup here. If you put Cody Clements in the lineup too much, you're going to get worse version of Cody Clements. So let's back off of the Cody Clements should be getting all-star votes. Not that anybody's really saying that. He's hitting two fifty six. His on-base percentage is three twelve, which is dreadful. So Cody Clements having to play is part of the problem that this team is having, even though he has been okay. Not great, okay. But he is in the lineup tonight, and the big thing for me is not this lineup tonight. It is Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler is the guy who's the most important. Like last night, the lineup was insignificant. You got one run. But the pitching did their job. Tonight, I don't care what the Phillies lineup does. I need Wheeler to win this game for me tonight. I need Wheeler to shut it down. And at the end of the night, if you win 8 nothing, 7 nothing, 7-1, something to that effect, I'm not going to come here tomorrow and say, man, the Phillies lineup really did their job. No, the Phillies lineup is what it is. They should score some runs because of what they're paying these guys. The pitching has to be the reason with Wheeler tonight against the Tigers. Now, Scott Lauber 
posted a picture of Citizens Bank Park um, a little while ago, and he said there's a skyline out there somewhere. Well, in that photo, just to give you some perspective, you cannot see Center City, Philadelphia at all. I mean, it is completely out of sight out there. But they did put a lineup out, so I would imagine with the lineup being posted, that indication would be that they will play. But also, we heard Mike McGarry earlier in the show today, right, talk about how he was at the game last night. And what did Mike say? It was kind of eye-opening. He said he thought there was at least five or six balls that were hit that kind of died last night because of the the sky or whatever was going on, you would imagine that that would be even worse tonight, right? I mean, you would think if last night it was affecting the game, if they play tonight and that's still nothing that we've heard anyway, you would think it would be worse tonight. So that would be another reason why Wheeler should have a big game tonight. Yeah, you would assume that the weather is going to impact the hitters and it's an opportunity for a pitcher to have a good night. And you would expect Wheeler, who is, listen, like you said earlier on the show, Mike, he's not a bona fide number one starter, but he is the Phillies' number one starter. You need that guy to go out there and earn his paycheck. Uh, somebody posted, uh, Crossing Broad, our friends over there, a nation slowly waits for their hero to return home. It's a picture of Danny Watkins wearing a uh, fireman's outfit. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. That, that's a good one. The New York skyline is definitely compromised. Like, you can't see. It's very, very, like, yellowishly, like, pinkish orange. I don't even know what color it is. It is definitely different. Um, they do have an off day tomorrow, too. Keep that in mind. They do, and I think that is part of the reason why baseball is monitoring this because they know that there's a built-in off day for some of these teams, and if, if they have to take advantage of it, they might as well. There's no need to have a game. I know the fans will be disappointed, but there's no need to have a game out there if the if the product is that compromised. Um, I'm trying to see. Like, I'm looking at the field. Like, the field itself, like the sight lines on the field don't look compromised. It just appears that the air quality is like when you look out into the distance, it's right. tough. I don't know what that means on the field. I don't think the player's vision or sight is being compromised. So we'll, well see. that's good. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just looking at pictures. I'm not, obviously, I'm not there. Um, somebody put a, all right, this is interesting. This is Joe Martucci from the press who, who put a tweet out and said, really, it's orange, in, like, North Jersey, and down in our section, he describes it as kind of being gray. Okay. So from Philly down, it kind of looks like it's just kind of a gray sky, almost like a foggy day. Right. But up in North Jersey, the northern part of the state, that it is an orange type of hue. Very weird. Like, if you look at pictures right now, like, News 4 in New York just posted a video on Twitter that a footage of the George Washington Bridge, which connects Jersey to the city, that it is like flat out on, you, you just cannot see the bridge. It, you can't see it at all. So New York um, definitely seems to be in a worst case situation. The scene inside Yankee Stadium, a lot different than the scenes 
in Philadelphia right now. So for the Yankee fans out there, the New York fans out there, is the air quality better tomorrow? Somebody texts, I don't think so. That I can't answer. I don't know how to uh, determine what the air quality will look like one day from the next. I mean, obviously yesterday it was fine. and It was almost not recognizable at the Phillies game last night. Today, obviously much more recognizable. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, coming up, NBA Finals Game 3 tonight. What are some of the keys? And can somebody cool the heat off? Oh, my gosh. They don't miss. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Matt from Kate May says, I definitely feel like the air quality affected my production at work today. I work outside doing power washing. And um, if it affected your work, that's no good. Could it affect uh, Walker last night? Pitch fine. That was the odd part, is that he finally pitched a good game. <laughs> All right, Keith Smith from SpotTrack.com, who covers the NBA. We'll get his thoughts on James Harden being torn. What is the message there? That's next. Now, back for Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Game three tonight right here, 97.3 ESPN. Has it. Jimmy Butler, Jokic, Denver, Miami. Should be fun as we get to see who will take the 2-1 series lead because we know the team that wins game three wins the series 80% of the time. Although, that trend has not held up recently. Game three winners have a 3-4 series record since the 2011 final. Denver, by the way, is 8-13 in a series when tied 1-1. Second worst of any team in uh, the NBA. Uh, Denver on the road, less effective, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, at home, they are 9-1. On the road, they are 4-3, but they give up 10 more points per game on the road than they do at home. And I'll ask Keith Smith, SpotTrack.com, as we get ready for a pivotal game three tonight. Uh, how big was that game two? I mean, does that really change the whole dynamics of this series? We know if Denver's up to nothing, we feel different. But are we all of a sudden now thinking that the Heat are, in fact, the favorites in this series coming home with home court advantage? I don't know that I'd go as far as saying they're the favorites, but it's definitely a different series. You know, you, anytime you're down 0-2, but you're going home, you still feel like you're okay. <clears throat> but your goal is always when you're the lower-seeded team, get one of those first uh, two on the road. And then, then you know, now you're kind of in control. But, you know, Denver's proven they can win on the road in these playoffs. I think, you know, they'll be right there doing doing their thing tonight. I think, you know, a lot more of it is uh, less about – you know, who's home and who's away than it is, is Miami going to continue to make everything or are they going to be the heat from game one that did make everything? If they're making everything, they're going to be really hard to beat. Uh, they are making everything, and that is crazy. Uh, I, I've never seen anything like this. Have you where they just don't miss? They shoot When they win, they shoot 49% from three, it feels like, every single night. But Michael Malone, after the game, uh, lack of effort, he said, from his team, uh, do you agree with Michael Malone? Did you see a team that did not give uh, full effort? Yeah, I thought they played a little casual, especially in the first half of that game, too. I thought 
their defensive closeouts weren't as weren't as good. They weren't as locked in on getting out to the Miami shooters, which is probably a big part of why they shot better. Um, but I also thought offensively, I thought they had some really sloppy possessions. And I thought, you know, Miami's defense did some stuff. They kept changing up looks. They showed them a bunch of different things. They went to that uh, kind of three-quarter court, like, kind of token press, uh, which really slowed the Nuggets down. Denver wasn't getting into their actions until half the shot clock was gone, and that that you know, really put them in a weird spot because then it was so many times it was throw it to Jokic, and he's just going to have to shoot because there's not enough time to get anything else. I thought the Heat did a great job staying attached to players on the perimeter. They didn't get back cut for layups and dunks like they did in game one. So, you know, a lot of credit goes to Miami for sure, but, you know, Denver can do some different things, and, you know, I think this is, you know, what makes these series fun is all right now we've seen the miami adjustments now let's see what denver's got yep uh that's the way it goes back and forth you take a look at denver uh he carried the load Jokic in the second half of that game um you know, obviously a lot made of the fact he scored 41. He didn't have a lot of assists, but he would have had more assists had they hit more shots. What did you think about what Miami did to Murray? Yeah, I thought putting Jimmy Butler on him was huge. You know, that's just more size on Murray, and he wasn't able to get those shots quite as easily. You know, Butler is a very, very good defender. The challenge is, I think, you know, if you're Denver, now you've seen it. So now start running, you know, Murray off more screens. Run him off uh, stuff where he's the pick-and-roll ball handler. You know, bang Butler, you know, hit him. Hit him multiple times. You know, make him work because if you're going to put him on Murray, make him work on that end of the floor. Don't let him, you know, just kind of – stick with them and hang out with them around the perimeter is kind of a bystander. Like you got to make Butler work because then that, you know, could reduce his effectiveness on the offensive end. And I, we've seen that over the years when he has to carry a huge defensive, you know, burden, it turns into a spot where offensively just doesn't always have the legs. And, you know, we're still early in the series. And if this is going to be a long series, do what you can try to get him tired out and try to get him in a spot where he doesn't have it left. Uh, talk with Keith Smith, SpotTrack.com, NBA Finals Game 3 tonight right here on 97.3 ESPN. What do you make of the way the Heat are winning these games? Not only are they shooting, they're down. Seven double-digit comeback wins. It's the most in the last 25 years. I mean, they are a team that's never out of it, but how are they able to constantly get back in these games? Like, nothing about this Heat team makes sense. It really doesn't. Like, I don't even know what to, you know, say about them anymore. It's like, it's like I literally have said several times now, like, on paper, but the Heat don't care about what your paper says. It's, let's go play the game. Let's see what it goes to. And I think a lot of that is their exposure, but I think a lot of that's their veteran guys. You know, and then, you know, there's something, too, when, you know, half of the guys playing on your roster and playing minutes, guys like Gabe Vincent and Max Schroes and Caleb Martin and Duncan Robinson are guys who, you know, in some ways are fortunate to even be in the NBA. They had to work and battle and get some breaks along the way to get their opportunities and make it. They're not going to panic when they get down 10 in the second quarter. It's like, okay, you know, big deal. Like, let's just go. Let's just play. Now, I think Spolstra, the, the belief that team always has is, okay, this isn't working, but coach is going to have something else ready for us. And it'll work instead that we go this way. And sometimes it doesn't. Every once in a while, things snowball on them. We saw that a couple times in the Boston series. And then, you know, things kind of get get a little sideways. But for the most part, they have an answer when it's, all right, they've kind of figured out what we were doing. All right, let's go to this uh, look instead. And then they make it happen. It's your your answer is great. The fact that you know Miami forty four and thirty eight. Uh, they were correct me if I'm wrong. 
they averaged the least amount of points in the entire league. They were worse offensively than Detroit and Houston, right? Uh, if not, it was really, really close. And and they weren't a, a team that uh, played super slow-paced either. They, they weren't fast-paced, but they didn't score points, and it wasn't one of those by design. Every once in a while, we'll see one of those teams. But, you know, I think it also is worth mentioning they were down with three minutes to go in the second play-in game. We, we were three minutes and, you know, the Bulls having a kind of, you know, crappy close to that game away from Miami not even being in the playoffs at all. And, you know, not, now here they are, you know, tied 1-1 in the finals. It really is, you know, just it, not, none of it makes sense. It's just one of those things that as we look at it, it's like, wow, you know, we're going to be talking about this one for a while. And what this does now is this is going to give more and more teams that thought of like, hey, why not us? Right, let, let, let's go for it because if we get there, we can make that kind of run too. Yeah, and it, and they're doing it with guys. I mean, Bam obviously has been an All Star player, but he's picked his offense up. Gabe Vincent led the team in points. I mean, Duncan Robinson, what he did. It's not. I mean, everybody just says it's playoff Jimmy and and Jimmy Butler's carrying the team, but they are just getting bizarre contributions from guys that were essentially not even in the rotation at times. Yeah, I mean, Duncan Robinson spent a large chunk of this season not as a rotation member for the Miami Heat. The only reason he got back in was because Tyler Hero got hurt here in the playoffs. And then it was, all right, well, we need somebody else to fill. You know, and it started out with, hey, just give us 10, 15 minutes. And, and then, you know, he kind of refound that form of the guy from the bubble from a few years ago. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's right back there. He was the, that knockdown shooter. And it, it's really... You know, incredible. And then, you know, then they go to a guy like Haywood Highsmith, who's been in and out of the rotation kind of all year long. And they, they just, you know, kind of throw him in. Kevin Love gets back into the starting lineup after losing, you know, not only his starting spot, but all of his playing time in the Boston series. And he made a big difference in game two. It really has been, you know, uh, you know, special the way this Miami team, it just seems like whoever Eric Spolster calls upon come in. And I think the big reason why is, he doesn't ask those guys to come in. Like, he doesn't say to Duncan Robinson, all right, we need you to be Tyler Hero. They, what he tells them is, go out there and be the best Duncan Robinson you can be. You know, we'll, we'll figure out the rest. If all of you play a little bit better, we'll replace what we've lost through these injured guys. We just need everybody to play a little bit better version of what they usually are. And don't try to be, you know, what somebody else is, and that just works for them. All right. Uh, we uh, take a look at Game 3 tonight right here on 97.3 ESPN with Keith Smith, SpotTrack.com. I'll leave you with this. We talked about Game six, uh, 3, obviously. Uh, we, we do want to get your thoughts on uh, James Harden uh, apparently torn on a decision. Is there something uh, that you read there, or is this just a pl- who's who's leaking that information? Yeah, that's really interesting because I'm starting to you know that that's what you do, right? You start to trace back of all right, who's the one saying this, and you know who who does this benefit? And I'm kind of wondering if that torn stuff is maybe coming out of the Philadelphia side where it is, hey, we're still in this, you know, we still have a real shot. Here, but I, I, my guess is this is a really hard decision for James Harden because on the one hand you've got a new coach coming in, a really good coach. You've got a team that is, you know, you've got the MVP who's going to be.
for a while. You've got a team that is built to win right now, and you've got you know a bunch of really good players, so why not just resign in Philly? But there's that pull, it seems, for him to return to Houston. And and I just I keep going back to whenever the Houston stuff came out, initially it was like, okay, that's that's kind of interesting, but there's gonna be nothing there. Then it didn't go away. And then you know, months and months and months later, we're still hearing it. And that to me says there's something really there, you know, with that one. So I'm guessing, you know, he is kind of down to it. And my guess is both teams would like to know they they'd like that to be a uh, hey, let's get to, you know, six, you know, ten past six on uh, you know the 30th right after free agency opens and let's have a decision made here because both sides are we've got other work to do if you're not coming you know we we, we got some other stuff we got to make happen so my guess is you know that they're going to be pushing for this to be an early answer in free agency all right uh we'll keep an eye on that june 6th uh july 6th excuse me is uh the start of nba free agency team can start negotiating with their own guys on uh, june 30th and then we expect harden to opt out of his deal. Keith Smith, NBA Finals, Game 3 tonight. Enjoy it, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I know Keith gets ultra sad when the season starts to dwindle down games. Well, we're running out of games. But hey, the draft is the 22nd, and then the Summer League is here, and then we're kind of right back, right? We do hate when seasons come to a close. And this NBA Finals tonight, pivotal Game 3 in Miami. By the way, did you see Miami? Uh, the soccer team, the LMLS team, signed Messi. Apparently, tickets for the game that Messi will debut in are going for more money than the NBA Finals Game 3 ticket tonight. More Sports Bash coming up on 97.3 ESPN. When we come back, it's football at 4. Eagles have the day off today from OTAs, but we're going to take a look at all of some of the Eagles' offseason things that have come into form, including six new faces on the defensive side of the ball. Stick around. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. My personality is I, I want to win badly. I want to win more Lombardis for Philadelphia and our fans. we got the greatest fans around, and I will do everything possible. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. This is Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Adam Kaplan and Jeff Mosher, who's back to talk a little NFL, little birds. By the way, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be visiting the Titans. It seems like an interesting fit there uh, because Hopkins uh, right now without a team and not a lot of suitors, it seems like, but the Titans on their list and Jeff you and I the other day talked a little bit about Hopkins uh would be a great uh, you know talent but probably not a fit for this team right here uh but one guy who's a phenomenal fit has been AJ Brown we saw him yesterday uh along with Jalen Hurts at Citizens Bank Park uh both of them taking batting practice did you know that uh AJ Brown was such a talented baseball player were you aware of his uh skill on the baseball diamond 
I can't hear you. Oh, he does not hear me. I hear you, though. Uh, and uh, everybody heard you say that you couldn't hear me. But he is uh, trying to get the audio. I see him fiddling around. Yeah, he knows it. Uh, he, he, I can hear you, by the way. Um, but, uh, yes, I do hear you. And I do not. He's saying I do not hear you. All right. Well, we'll try to pop you out and then put you back in here and see if he can possibly do some work uh, to get that fixed. But I don't know how many people saw the video of AJ. Did you know? A.J. Brown uh, was drafted, and he apparently uh, was on a team. I forget what it was, but I was reading this from somewhere. He hit fifth in the lineup behind Bo Bichette, was uh, the number four hole hitter, and he was on a team um, that was pretty talented. So A.J. Brown showed and I, and I was talking about this this morning. I was on Birch 365 this morning, and I was talking about how when you watch athletes – from other sports try to play baseball, right? When you see an athlete from another sport try to throw a baseball or swing, like Jalen Hurts is number two. Jeff, can you hear me? Jeff, yes, he does hear me. All right, you there hear me. I got you. So I was All saying, right. did, you, did you know that A.J. Brown was such a prized baseball prospect? Um. I may have, but forgotten it because I, I mean there are a ton of guys who are who are you know drafted out like Kyler Murray's of the world, Riley Cooper. You know a lot of these guys are, are drafted into to baseball. Yeah, he was apparently like a fifth round pick. But I was talking about this because yesterday him and Hertz and I said when you see a professional athlete from another sport try to play baseball, it really shows you how difficult it is to be good at baseball. I mean, Jalen Hurts is second in the MVP voting. He's a quarterback, so it's not like he's an offensive. And him trying to hit the baseball yesterday, uh, it, it was sad to watch his swing. Meanwhile, A.J. Brown is cranking dingers. Like, you can see that A.J. had it in him. Hurts, not so much. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm always jealous of... um all athletes seem to excel at golf in in quite a short amount of time. You know, it's like they start picking up the clubs and their natural athleticism usually shines through, right? And here I am. I've been trying to work on my golf game for 15 freaking years, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't. But it's funny how some cross over very well to certain sports and others it just doesn't translate. Um, I, I was more surprised that Jalen Hurts was batting left-handed. I didn't realize he was yeah, left-handed. Yeah, we, bat- we brought that up this morning was, was the fact that, by the way, A.J. Brown was drafted by the Padres. I think he was a fifth round. I mean, somebody was tweeting out earlier that he hit in the lineup behind Bo Bichette somewhere in high school. In high school. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, so he got drafted by protection. the Padres. Yes. Um but, yeah, it's it just like, you know, watching um, Hurts yesterday, he was swinging left-handed. And I said, that's like Chase Utley. Chase Utley, a right-handed infielder, but a left-handed bat. So you, a lot of people are very envious of those players. You know, when you have a guy who, like, a lot of people, you know, they want to be a left-handed pitcher. But if you're mm-hmm. not a pitcher, you don't want to be left-handed generally because then you're limited to playing either first base or... Or only the outfield. So you get a guy like Chase Utley, though, who is a right-handed infielder but a left-handed bat. Those guys are always envious because you want to have that left-handed swing. And then when I saw Jalen Hurt go up there left-handed, I said, oh. And then I saw the swing in his <laughs> crouch. I said, what is he doing? Yeah. Well, maybe he was just tinkering. Maybe he was just, you know, hey, let me see if I can hit left-handed. I, I don't know. I don't know if he nor- normally bats. <laughs> I haven't been to the celebrity um, softball tournament. That's, that's tomorrow night, isn't it? That- 
that uh, Devontae Smith has. So. It's, yeah, it's, I think it is. It's tomorrow night, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to get your opinion. This was something that these guys were chewing around today. I mean, a lot of people have the Eagles as the favorite in the NFC. Uh, do you feel that the NFC, it's the Eagles and everybody else wide open? Who do you see as some of the challengers uh, to Philadelphia if you, in fact, think that they are the clear favorite? And do you think they're the clear favorite at this stage? I mean, clear favorite is tough. I mean, I certainly think that they're a favorite. Um, I, you know, I, I think the 49ers are going to be there and really good. You know, they were great defensively last year, although the Eagles exposed them. But then they just added Javon Hargrave. You know, we'll see what happens with their quarterback situation. But we know Mike Shanahan seems to make it work with whatever quarterback he's got. The, the, the issue with them is usually health. So we'll see what if they have a healthy squad. There's no doubt about it. They have a lot of great talent on their team. Um, but, you know, after that, you know, I know we say this every year and, and Eagles fans hate to hear it. And and they have a point because history says it's not going to happen. But the Cowboys have a very good 53. And one of their biggest issues last year was that they, they were not explosive on offense. They lacked that downfield element. And people think that that has a lot to do with why Dak Prescott through more interceptions last year than at any other year of his career. He was one of the least intercepted quarterbacks going into last year, but they really did not have an explosive element with Michael Gallup coming back from an ACL injury. Well, they added Brandon Cooks in the offseason, and say what you want about him being on team to team to team, but he's a 1,000 yards every year and a downfield element kind of guy. And you put him in there with what they already have in C.D. Lamb and Gallup now a year removed from the ACL, um, good offensive line, Good defense that they've added to. They brought in Stephon Gilmore. I mean, I think that they're a pretty good 53. Um, they're very representative of, of a team that should be tough to handle. So between San Francisco, Dallas, Philadelphia, you know, I don't know that there's an NFC South team that really scares me, but I really don't know what to make of New Orleans. I think they have good players. And if Derek Carr gets off to a good start and gets in a good rhythm, then I could see them being difficult. But I really do think, I think Eagles, Niners, Cowboys is what looks to me right now like a pretty formidable top three. So are, where are you on the Detroit uh, thing? Cause oh, yeah, seemingly... I should mention the Lions. I th- the Lions are you are think that's what you, you So you're buying the Detroit hype? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't even think it's something you have to buy or sell. They finished pretty strong last year. They have a lot of talent. Um, you know, they, they'll have to face the same thing that the Eagles do this year is that they're not going to, roll up on anybody not going to surprise anybody but they are playing in a division that doesn't look overly difficult i think chicago's still building and minnesota should be good but it you know could be lacking in some crucial elements depending on you know it sounds like they're going to move on from dalvin cook and they could move on from danielle hunter so um they're still a formidable team but you know, other than that, I, it's not like they've got, you know, three really difficult teams they've got to, to play in their division. So where are you right now, Jeff Mosher, football at four uh, from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast? We're kind of going through these OTAs and everybody, you know, feels good about where their team is. Uh, where do you feel about what the Giants have done this offseason? And, and then they made the playoff last year. They went out and got Waller, added him to uh, another weapon to their offense. Obviously, they needed another weapon uh, in the offense there. So. Uh, where do you kind of place the Giants in terms of taking that step? Yeah, I think they have the capability to do it. I do think they addressed uh, some of their issues. You know, the, offensively, they needed more playmakers, right? So they added Darren Waller. If he stays healthy, he's a playmaker. They drafted Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, a deep threat 
in the third round. So it shouldn't be difficult to get him on the field as long as he's productive. You never know. You might actually get some health out of uh, those guys who are always hurt, like um, Sterling Shepard. You know, Darius Slayton's a guy who can still give you some some presence downfield. Um, trying to think about defensively. I thought they were pretty good defensively last year, and they added a corner, if I'm not mistaken, in either free agency or um, – with a draft, right? Yeah, they drafted Deontay Banks from Maryland. So who's a good man press corner who fits what they want to do defensively there with the, how much that, um, Don Martindale blitzes. I think I'll, I, obviously the big thing for them is does their right tackle Evan Neal take a big step forward after a really disappointing rookie year? The same way their left tackle Andrew Thomas did, you know, three years later, Andrew Thomas was a pro bowler. Um, and they expect that Evan Neal will be better. They drafted the center from Minnesota who's humongous. I don't know how good he is, but he's humongous, and he's probably better than uh, what they had last year. And we'll see if if Daniel Jones can kind of make it work now with this added weaponry. And and defensively, I, I do think they'll be they'll be pretty good. They had a lot of young ta- they have young talent. I mean, you know, Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams up front, Aziz Ojolari uh, up front, Kayvon Thibodeau in Thibodeau, year two. Yeah. So they certainly should be. They, I, I just I'm, I'm reluctant to sort of put him in this upper tier because I think they have a lot to prove before we just go ahead and say that they're going to be in the mix. Um, yeah, well, you just talked about something with them, is that their defense has a lot of the same faces back, where the Eagles are having, you know, they got six new faces. And one of the things uh, we were talking about this morning, which was the Eagles have two new tackles, two new linebackers, and two new safeties. Which of those two news are you least worried about? Two new linebackers, two new safeties, and two new defensive tackles. Yes. And which one am I most or least worried about? I'm well, sorry, what, I missed. Yeah, no. Which yeah, which one of those of those three spots kind of rank them in terms of like your you know you're gonna have you know you, you, right. you know yeah you got Carter I mean, and Davis you got Dean and and right now Morrow and I don't even know who you have at safety. Right. I guess I guess safety is my least concern at the moment. Because really. Uh, but I acknowledge that it's the weakest, but I also think within the confines of the defense that they play, it's my least concern because they need, I mean, Terrell Edmonds is going to give you a, a baseline acceptable. I mean, he's a five-year starter for the Steelers who are been pretty, have never had a losing record in his, his tenure there. I think he'll be okay. And I think you'll get something from the combination of Sidney Brown or, you know, Justin Evans or even Reed Blankenship. I, I, w- I worry more so about the middle, um, Nicobe Dean and, and Nick Morrow only because it's sort of a, a double concern about, well, is Jordan Davis going to be on the field a whole lot? And how's Jalen Carter going to do? Cause those guys up front need to keep the linebackers clean. So before you can worry about the safeties, you kind of got to worry about can this team not get gashed really badly in the run? Uh, and give up a lot of yards and make it easy for the opponents to have like second and three and third and ones and third and twos. Uh, I'm surprised by that. I got to be honest, because to me, um, I think Carter and Davis have the highest ceiling of all the players, right? The highest ceiling? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. So, yeah. So it's like I would be least concerned with the two guys. That, no, I get it. They probably have the least experience. Although everybody, Nicobe Dean has played 30 snaps in his entire career. Nick mm-hmm. Morrow probably, of all the guys, Terrell Edmonds and Nicobe Dean, I mean, uh, Nick Morrow have the most experience. And I think they're the two guys you're the least excited about. 
Well, it's just that I think that if you want to exploit safeties um, by throwing the ball deep or attacking them at the seams, you need to have time as a quarterback to do that. But I still think that the strength of the Eagles is their pass rush, uh, and they've got good pass rushers. So I'm I'm really not – if they have a year like two years ago where because of their defensive deficiencies they're picked apart um, – not over the top, but over the middle and, you know, systematically the way all those quarterbacks did two years ago, then your concern is more about the middle of the your linebackers and then also, again, not stopping the run, which yeah. they did a poor job of in the first six or seven games in that year as well. Uh, Jeff Mosher, football at four. Yeah, because, you know, N'Kobe Dean, of all the players, I probably – well, I don't know that that's fair. Jalen Carter, Nicobe Dean, seeing, you know, and, and then Sidney Brown, which we're hearing some good things about his, uh, playmaking ability, some instinct stuff there. But I think Nicobe Dean is the guy that I might be the highest on of the group of guys we just kind of talked about. And I don't know, where do we think the linebacker, the linebacker in the defenses previous to last year were terrible. And we constantly mm-hmm. kept talking about them. I don't think last year the two linebackers got enough praise for, we didn't talk about the linebacker position last year because it was almost like, all right, they're doing their job. We don't have to. But I, I feel like what's the linebacker's role in a John Gannon or slash Sean Desai defense? All right. So we recently had Clay Harbor on our podcast on Inside the Birds um, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And his concern for TJ Edwards with the Bears is that he's going to a defense now that has not nearly the same amount of interior defensive line talent as the Eagles had and so keeping him clean is going to be very very difficult for the bears and so him getting to make all the tackles that he made last year will not be as easy and i think you can fairly say will it be easy on the eagles defense again if jordan davis can't play um, a good percentage of the game you got rookie and jalen carter i expect him to be good but you really need your 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 defensive line interior line to keep your linebackers clean because the way uh, Nicobe Dean is built is to be a sideline, a sideline, a rangy guy, um, not a guy who's got a bunch of 320 pound guys in his face. I mean, he's just not, not a big, huge guy. So that's, that's sort of why I have high expectations of Nicobe Dean. I don't think it'll be his issue. If bodies are flying at him, it'll be an upfront issue. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, uh, I like that breakdown, by the way. It's, uh, it, it, you know, because if somebody in front of you is doing your job, you have a better propensity to be able to complete your job. So I think Dean is going to be a playmaking linebacker. I just hope he stays healthy. Uh, something that the two guys last year were not playmaking linebackers. They just kind of did their job. You know, Correct. they didn't force turnovers and intercept passes and, and sack the quarterback. And I'm not saying that this, uh, you know, he's going to be Brian Erlacher out there, but. Hey, you never know. Uh, Jeff Mosher, football four. And then, of course, um, you, you mentioned Nick Morrow as the guy. He, he had said yesterday, and we talked a little bit about this, I think it was with you, Jeff, um, that, you know, he said situationally he's learning more from Sean Desai than he has in his entire NFL career. And you wonder what that actually means. Like, um, situational football, like down in distance, is he talking here? That, that's what I gathered that Nick Morrow meant that he's learning more about, you know, alignment, uh, assignment, things like that. When you are in third and five and obviously Sean Desai might be drawing up a certain type of scheme, defensive scheme and who are you covering? And then the whole match carry and deliver 
system that they run, which is called a matchup zone or man match, you hear called, where, say, the outside corner on a crossing route is only going to cover to the middle of the field, then deliver that receiver to the linebacker, whose then job is to have the right depth and the right amount of coverage to hold until the quarterback is either sacked or throws it somewhere else or whatever happens. That, that, that's a, that's a system we saw first employed by, you know, last year by the Eagles. Not, not saying the Eagles are the first to do. I'm just saying the Eagles for the first time in their history played that style of defense last year. It's a, it's a Fangio concept. It's obviously one that Sean Desai is probably going to bring his own version of to the Eagles he is going to bring. And, and I imagine that part of it is going to be very similar where the outside corners and the interior linebackers are all going to have to communicate and know on certain crossing routes and in routes and out routes where they're supposed to be for how long supposed to be there and uh, what down and distances require them to do that. All right, Jeff Mosher, Football 4 here on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, back on the field tomorrow will be their final OTA, and uh, that'll kind of wrap things up. And then the good part is when OTAs are done, the next thing we got is training camp. We'll be thinking about training camp here in the near future. Andrew will be on Thursday, and uh, Andrew and I will start our division previews here shortly. And that's when you really know we're getting close to football, when we start pontificating about how everybody has changed as they get ready for this season. Jeff Mosher and the guys, your podcast is dropping, I think I read Friday this week. Is it delayed a day? Yes, we are delaying it a day and dropping it Friday morning. All right, so check that out on all the Inside the Birds uh, podcast platforms. Jeff Mosher, InsideTheBirds.com. Thanks, buddy. You got it. Take care. All right. Uh, it's amazing how you go down a little football rabbit hole and you can just start talking about things. Another thing we were talking about uh, you know, this morning was the fact that Read Blankenship, right? You got Blankenship, you've got um, Sidney Brown, you got Terrell Edmonds. You know, those three guys seemingly are the favorites to be the starters or get a lot of playing time at the safety spot. How does Sean decide decide <laughs> to use Blankenship? Is he a guy that he values his skill set? You know, because remember last year, Marcus Epps is a guy that entering at this time of the year, we kept talking about is Marcus Epps going to be the best safety that you have? And what kind of safety do you have if, or, or, or defense do you have if Marcus Epps is your best? Now they went out and got Chauncey Garner-Johnson. Does Sean Desai take a look at this team and say, hey, we need to get a more playmaking safety? Or does he like the fact that, hey, I got a guy like Blankenship that's a very steady Eddie kind of guy? Is Sidney Brown kind of the wild card that we're not really all that aware of what he will bring to the NFL game? We saw what he did at Illinois, and he was a heck of an athlete at Illinois. Is he going to be a guy that comes in here? And, you know, there have been safety, rookie safeties in the past who have just burst onto the scene, and you're like, whoa, you know, I didn't see this guy happening. Uh, and, and that's a possibility. And, you know, the other thing, we, we kind of hinted at this the other day, which is you do have Avante Maddox, and Maddox has been the guy. I wonder if they look at him in that role that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson played, where he played Chauncey Gardner, that is, where he played safety. They moved him into the slot because he had played slot corner with New Orleans. Do they say, hey, we have – do we like the other corners, the slot corner options, McPherson, Greedy Williams, uh, maybe Josh Job, that you say, hey, I trust those guys. Greedy Williams, I think, would be the, would be the hope if you're the Eagles anyway, that he, uh, stands out so much at camp that you want to find a way to get him on the field. And you say, you know what? We're going to put him at slot corner 
for, you know, the nickel situation, which is a lot, most, you know, 70% of the snaps, even if not more. And we're going to try to get Avante. So we'll get both those guys on the field. I think that's something that we might want to revisit once we get towards training camp and maybe even exhibition games. Mike Gill's with you. That is me. Uh, Rob Thompson looks like he said we are playing. Absolutely. So it looks like the Phils are going to play tonight. There's been some discussion on whether or not. So I guess that guy who emailed and said the game's that moving to 8 o'clock that you got tickets, I'd get there a little earlier. <laughs> it appears that uh, you got an email and nobody else got that email. Uh, Mike Gill in the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You can download the app at the Apple Store, Google Play. It's all free thanks to First Bank of Sea Isle. I, on the other side, have sounded the day, actually, Josh has the sound of the day. He picks it. I will pontificate on it. And uh, we'll get into that next here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. So if you're lonely, By 4.32 on the Sports Bash, it looks like just... Seconds ago, the Phillies and Tigers have postponed their game because of poor air quality, and Pennsylvania is under code red right now. So Rob Thompson says, oh, we're playing absolutely. Well, not so fast, Rob Thompson. The Phillies and Tigers have been rescheduled for tomorrow At 6 o'clock, both teams had the day off tomorrow, and now they will play tomorrow at 6.05. Phillies and Tigers are smoked out, apparently. Unbelievable. John Clark's reporting the same thing, so... Oh, yeah, it's there. Zalecki, Lauber, Matt Gelb, yeah. By the way, baseball is doing the same thing for the Yankees, it looks like, too. The game in New York is being postponed as well. Well, if it was definitely there, it's worse there than here. So that's not a surprise. Here's uh, the official MLB press release. Major League Baseball has announced that the postponements of tonight's scheduled games between the Tigers and Phillies, which was originally scheduled for 6.05, plus the White Sox and Yankees, originally scheduled for 7.05. These postponements were determined following conversations throughout the day with medical and weather experts. Phillies Tigers will be made up tomorrow mm. at 6.05. The Yankees and White Sox will play a traditional doubleheader beginning at four oh five tomorrow. Yeah, so the Phillies and White uh, and the Phillies and uh, Tigers have been uh, smoked out tonight. So now I got to find something else to do. You got something to binge? Can I catch uh, up on anything on, on the uh, apps? Yeah, I mean I got some stuff I can do and and, and kind of take care of. But you know the Phils on a four game win streak. You're kind of looking forward to it. I guess this helps out the pitching. I guess. I mean, it gives you because remember they had TVD originally for Friday. So is this an opportunity for you to maybe get some guys a little more ready for a bullpen game on Friday? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't have to use Wheeler tonight, and then every he'll use him tomorrow. I would imagine and push everybody back one. Yeah, everybody gets a, a day well, off, and uh, everybody can, that got pushed back one can now move up one. I should say. Right. That well, that is true as well. Everybody can be moved up a little. Because Wheeler would go. Thursday. Now, tomorrow. Right. Well, they already had Thursday off. 
So, but Friday was a, a TBD. I, I had not seen anybody officially announced for Friday's game yet. So I'm assuming that'd be a bullpen game. Yeah. Um, the Phillies just tweeted out two minutes ago that the game has been rescheduled due to the air quality. I guess um, the big thing would be, though, that your tickets will be um, valid for the game tomorrow. Right. So if you had tickets for the game tonight, that you can use that ticket for the game tomorrow. So there you go. No Phillies tonight. Yeah, uh, kind of out of just out of nowhere. Just you know, we were literally sitting here and you know during the break there, and and uh, we just saw that all of a sudden out of nowhere it just started pouring out. So they must have all got the message. It's just oh, the NBA finals are tonight. NBA finals are tonight. Forgot about that. Yeah, watch the finals. Yeah, you're not gonna watch the hockey tomorrow anyway. Um, uh, no, I'm not gonna watch the hockey. I, uh, <laughs> I'm out on the hockey right now. Not to mention, um, I got stuff to do tomorrow night. You got stuff to do tomorrow night. All right, sound of the day. So, one of the hottest topics. And by the way, yes. real quick, um, they, it's good that they postponed the game now. The gates generally open at 435. So you didn't have people that were inside around. waiting around. I like hate that. They generally will do. The gates haven't even opened yet. So, yeah. They they got the message out there at an early enough time that people would not have been going or or in the stadium already. Right. Everybody go home, take the day and night off, and uh, listen to the sports batch with Mike Gill on nine seven three ESPN. Yeah. Uh, we sound the day. We will start with one of the biggest stories in all of sports, aside from the smoke from Canada, mm-hmm. which is live PGA merger going on. Well, Michael Collins, who knows a lot of people around the tour on ESPN, talked about what the players are telling him. And it's starting to sound, Mike, like there is not a lot of happy campers when it comes to this situation. I've been texting with a bunch of players that were in that meeting. And from what most of them have been telling me is not a whole lot got resolved for them. But I can tell you this. The two times that it was mentioned that there needed to be a change in leadership, both of those times got standing ovation inside that room. And I think that says something. And you have to remember that this tournament that's going on in Canada where this meeting happened earlier at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, well, these aren't those top-rated golfers. Like, these aren't the dudes that are getting a big chunk of that pimp money. These are the dudes that are way below there. So they have a lot more on the line, so they feel like that could be lost now because of this merger. Um, I listened to some of the stuff that Colin said. I think that's a pretty powerful bite there, you know, that they're giving standing ovations when you talk about a change in power. I don't see how Monaghan uh, makes it through this. He can't. This is absolutely insane that this thing has played out the way it has. Yeah, I mean, look. For the most part, I think he ended up doing the right thing. It's the path he chose to get there. Right. Well, it's the fact that he took that position where he was like, you know. Yeah. You know, he basically took a political position with this. And now all of a sudden, it's all of a sudden about the money. Like, it's he basically has shot his own credibility in the foot. He um, admitted that he was a um, that people are going to think he's hypocritical and all that stuff. In the end, I give him credit for not having too much pride to do the right thing. So many times you make a mistake and then you make double the mistake because you don't have 
the pri- you have too much pride to say I made the mistake. Right, the ego gets involved. He made the mistake and didn't let his pride get in the way to prevent this had to happen. The way it was going was just not going to be sustainable for for either side. So what do you think is going to be the next domino to fall then for this? Because you know, we were talking about yesterday about hey, the players found out on social media, you know, Tiger Woods, he's not going to be happy. Rory McIlroy, he's already basically come out and said, you know, I, I kind of had a feeling this was going to happen all along. You know, what do you think the next move is? Um, That's a good question. We talked about this a lot yesterday with uh, Cam Rogers, and it seems that they're going to play out this season as is, but that's really hard to focus if you're like the live guys knowing that. I don't know what the next moves are. It, it, it is totally up in the air. I think the biggest move will be that Monahan will be out. He has to be out. Like I just don't see a scenario where you can rationalize keeping him in charge, considering how the players are already. I mean, the players almost sound like they're like borderline mutiny. It's almost like a like a out of a, the pages of like you know the the American Revolutionary War, so where people are like you know throwing you know the British out of you know restaurants and bars and stuff and it's like the the players are ready to tell Monahan to go pound sand like they they want him gone yeah 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 uh Mike you had on the update today about James Harden and how conflicted he is according to Sham Sharenia's reporting well Shams also went on to say a little more on the Ryan Russillo podcast I wanted to present to you because he talked about how Part of what's going to happen with this Harden process that we need to remember is remember who gets to speak to him first. Remember, the Sixers get the first shot at talking to Harden, and that may have go a long way in what Harden decides to do. Sham Sharinia on the Ryan Rosillo podcast. My sense again right now. Is that this is someone that is is going to be is is torn? I think it, it's going to be. I think whichever way it goes, I think it's it's going to be relatively close. Um, and that's why as we get closer to July one, June thirtieth, those conversations that he's going to have as the incumbent free agent with Nick Nurse, with Daryl Morey, what their vision is for him, what their vision is for that team, what that offer ultimately is going to be versus comparing it to whatever Houston comes with on June thirtieth or July one. Those are all very important factors. That's why I. It is a guy that I you, you would you would assume you would think sits down with both teams. You know, Philadelphia is going to have a window earlier, potentially. You know, going in and scheduling meetings. So this is a situation now where we're, we're going to see. Um, you know, which which way it lands. Listen, the whole Harden thing at this point, we're at June the seventh. You have a month now before free agency opens up, and it's going to go back and forth. Keith Smith talked about it earlier. We talked about it as well. What is, and, and, and we talked about it with McGarry back in the two o'clock hour. What is James Harden's heart mindset? Now everybody's going to, for the next month, is going to try to get inside the mind of James Harden. Look, this is something that has been reported since Christmas time that he was wanting to go back to Houston. That's in play. The Sixers obviously are in a situation where they're looking at their franchise and wondering where are they if he walks? The Sixers are not in an enviable situation by any stretch of the imagination here. They have to evaluate their team. How close are we to winning an NBA championship? And if you're watching these finals right now, and the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets are 1-1, you have to think 
We are every bit as good as these two teams. This isn't one of those situations where you're watching the NBA Finals and you're like, man, we're far away from where this. Like, if you're watching the Stanley Cup Finals, you're saying, man, the Flyers are far from these two teams, right? If you watch the NHL playoffs, you would say the But if you watch the NBA playoffs, you're not watching them saying the Sixers are far. So they have to kind of keep that in the back of their mind when deciding on what to do with Harden. It's it's the weirdest thing in the NBA and a lot of sports where you have a player like James Harden who's really, really good. But in your mind, you're like, how could anybody want him? You know what I'm saying? Like Russell Westbrook has kind of reached that status where it's like Russell Westbrook's there. I don't want Russell Westbrook. He stinks. It's like James Harden. I saw somebody tweeting today like, I don't want James Harden. He stinks. And it's like. So you're telling me every team in the league is looking at James Harden as like he's an unplayable player? Like, no, the Sixers are right there with James Harden. They just have to decide whether or not financially it makes sense. They're in a tough spot, no question about it. You know, it's interesting. I'm I'm going to try to pull it up real quick. You know, I, I had Scoop B on game night last week, and he talked about this James Harden stuff. And, you know, he feels like, you know, part of this is – because you asked the question earlier, Mike, and I thought it was a very important question. And I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners might not have heard it. You asked, who is leaking this stuff? Who is putting this information out there? Who is the one who is creating these waves? You know, like, for example, you know, where did the Kyrie and LeBron are talking? Well, it came from Kyrie because Kyrie is trying to dictate that situation. Well, this was Scoop B last week talking about the James Harden situation, and I, I think it kind of goes in line with this. We're, we're in this, like, month-long trying to, you know, read the tea leaves situation. Houston is a beautiful city. I, I visited his restaurant a couple months ago. When, during, I was in Houston for 10 days. Um, he, he is still very beloved. They have a James Harden day in Houston. Um, I got a call from somebody within his circle about his wine. They're looking to really be expansive with that whole um, wine um, there's just a lot going on in the business and of basketball as well as the entrepreneurship arm of James. And um, I just think this is kind of a, a duality to controlling your own destiny, but also keeping folks on their toes. You saw that with LeBron at, at, when, he, when he discussed the potential of retirement. Like, I, I think that players just have gotten more co- cognizant of their value, and and keeping executives in the league on their toes. You know, all that is fine and dandy, but th- these guys are done playing basketball at 36, 37, 38, 39, 40 years old. I mean, you have a whole nother life behind you. To say that you're making a decision based on what he's suggesting here is it's one or the other. You can't have one foot in here and one foot over there. But they're trying to do that. But that's the problem. That too many of these guys have one foot here and one foot over there. And then, then you're you're not focused on the task at hand. You're making decisions based on you have a career. Finish one career, then start another. Well, I mean, that's the, but he just said it there. LeBron did it first. And LeBron LeBron's did. LeBron. But they, the guys don't think like that. These guys think that. Well, if it was okay for LeBron to do it, I want to do it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and listen. It's, I'm not uh, saying it's the right mentality. I'm no, just and that's what I'm saying. For James Harden and all these guys, I mean, to have interest outside at the same time that you're continuing to play a career that you get you know, paid handsomely for. And many of these guys, 
you know, there's only a few, few, few that win championships because they're the best. A lot of these guys, James Harden is one of the very, 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 very best players in this game, and he's not good enough to win a championship. So if you're not good enough to win a championship, how could you think that focusing on two things at one time is going to get you closer to getting there? And they don't think about it that way. They don't, they don't grasp the idea that, hey, I have this window. I need to maximize this window, and then I can do other things. They think of it as, I am in this basketball career, and I need to start using my basketball career to set up for my life after basketball. And like we said, the problem is is that LeBron does it, Tom Brady does it, other people do it. So the guys who are not LeBron James and Tom Brady think they can do it too, not Accepting the reality, reality that you are not LeBron, you are not Brady. Uh, if I, if I'm the team, the Sixers or whoever, I would certainly tell him I would not want you to focus on another uh, avenue until your playing career. Is yeah, done. and then the player will probably say pound sand and then walk out the door. Listen, at some point, like James Harden's a great player, but again. At some point, the, the the entity, the business, has to say, "Fine, you don't want to comply. We'll move on without you. We're not winning a championship with you, right? So we're going to move on without you." That's what they should do. That's what these teams need to do. It's not like I can come in there, you know, walking like Vince McMahon, saying that, "Hey, I've got six championships, and if I'm not here, you're not winning." Well, you've been on my team. And I've never won anything with you. Now, you could say I'm closer to winning with you than I am without you. Chances are, even if... Look, the Sixers have to make the decision. Is James Harden making us closer to winning a championship? Because he's not guaranteeing you. Nobody's guaranteeing you anything. That's number one. But are you closer to winning a championship with James Harden? Are you? Are your percentages any worse if he's gone? Are they similar? Are they significantly better if he's there? I think that's a, a question that it cannot be fully answered because it, it depends on who you're replacing him with. True. The problem with who you're replacing him with is that you are severely fine. Your financial situation is. You have restrictions. Is restricted because of it. Yeah. Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN. Uh, the game was scheduled at six tonight, so I'm sure the gates are open. I don't, I don't know. They said the gates for tomorrow are opening at 4.35, and the game tomorrow is a six o'clock start. Right. So it's an hour and a half. So 4.30. This is the Philly. People are, you know, talking about the Phillies. Get, I'm usually the first person that blasts the way these schools and teams cancel things. I think they saw the situation. It kind of came at them out of nowhere. Like, we talked about this at 2 o'clock, and we're laughing about it. Like, you kidding me? They're going to think about canceling the game tonight? So at 2 o'clock, there was no indication here anyway that this was a possibility. Heck, they asked Rob Thompson at 4-something, and he said, oh, no, we're playing. So anybody who thinks that, like, they waited too long, I I don't know what you're thinking. I mean, the gates aren't open. I'm usually the first person to blast these teams the way they handle rainouts. The gates aren't even open. It's not like they opened the gates and made people sit in Citizens Bank Park. If they would have done that, that's different. But they didn't even open the gates yet. 4.35, I think, is what time the gates were open. That's what time the gates are opening for tomorrow's game for the 6.05 start. 
So I, I, I can't rip the Phillies for this. Sorry, it's not in me today. Normally, I had no problem doing that for stuff like this. But in this one, I, I feel like they played. And by the way, I think MLB made this decision. So that's another factor. Sports Best Live 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill reminding you to get ready for months of hot weather with my friends at Ambient Comfort Heating Cooling Professionals and their $59 air conditioning system. Tune up for all new customers. Regular maintenance helps avoid costly repairs, increases the life of your system, saves on energy costs, and keeps your family comfortable through the hot summer months. So clean and adjust your system so it's safe and running at max efficiency regardless of who installed your AC system. Ambient Comfort just at my house recently to get me ready for these summer months coming up. Those 90-degree days are going to be here before we know it. I know it's going to start getting hot. And now my air conditioner is ready to go. $59 AC tune-up. Visit AmbientComfortNJ.com. That's AmbientComfortNJ.com. Or call 609-568-0955. Tell them Mike Gill from the Sports Bass sent you. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. 502 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. If you're just tuning in, hopefully you're not driving to the Phillies game. They canceled it. Postponed because of the Canadian wildfires. The air quality... In Philadelphia, pretty poor. Uh, also games canceled in New York and some other spots as well. I think there was three games in all. The Eagles, excuse me, the Phillies and Tigers have been smoked out tonight. There are no Phils tonight. Game three of the NBA Finals. We did have a Phillies lineup earlier that we were talking about. Phils win last night. They'll try to make that game back up tomorrow night at six o'clock. If you have a ticket for today's game, you can go tomorrow. Gates open at 435. The first pitch tomorrow, 605. Uh, when we take a look back at, you know, what happened today around two o'clock, we were talking and, you know, it seemed like this was going to happen. And there was some talk. We had an email, a text message that somebody said that the game is going to get pushed back. That never came to fruition. I don't think that was ever discussed. Then there was some talk that maybe the game. Uh, could be postponed or, you know, we started to see some pictures and the, the, cl- the, the clouds of the haze specifically, um, in the New York area. But some people are suggesting that right now in New York, it's kind of like an orangish color up there. And then here it's more of like a gray color. Uh, but that, that, you know, as the night goes on, that it could get worse tonight. My question really becomes, what about tomorrow? If you think about tomorrow, if the 
smog or smoke or haze or whatever you want to call it, is that going to clear out? And is that going to allow them to be able to play this game tomorrow? I mean, what's to say that you wake up tomorrow and then all of a sudden this thing is just kind of out here? Uh, it is a wild, wild story. I don't know. You know, did we say earlier there was a game that had uh, air quality that was 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 canceled because of poor air quality before in the past? I I don't remember this ever happening before, but um, yeah, it's it's right now. Uh, Allentown, PA, uh, Niles, New York, New York City, Scranton, Pennsylvania, and Newark, New Jersey, uh, they are deemed as hazardous air quality right now. Uh, and the Phillies game is postponed. It's crazy to think, but if you go on social media and start to look at some pictures, it is one of those days that you're going to be talking about like, you know, hey, do you remember that day where we had just absolute, you know, no vision, um, no sight lines in this New York City looks like it's been overtaken. It's crazy, but it has caused the Phillies game to now be canceled tonight. Yeah. So in 2018, there were major wildfires in California and they had to basically, well, they had to consider a lot of different things. Uh, one of the things was they were talking about postponing the game, moving the game. Um, they ended up playing the game, but they were last minute, you know, had to play it because they just got the fires under control. But Thursday and Friday, if you go back to Sports Illustrated and other outlets reporting back then, you know, the idea was is that, hey, are we going to be able to play this game because the wildfires are so bad? I don't remember that per se. I must have been living under a rock. The way I don't, I didn't even know that there were Canadian wildfires. Like this all kind of came out of nowhere to me today. Like, did I miss something? So obviously, I did. Obviously, you did. So did you know that this was happening? I had yes. no like this news today at two o'clock. Like them say, I was like, wait, what? So I got a random news alert. It was Monday that there was an issue in the Nova Scotia, New Brunswick area of Canada with these wildfires. And I was initially reading about how there were a lot of people who were angry about it because the Canadian government didn't respond quickly enough. And when when uh, when they tried to send people in there to initially, like, stop the fires, the Canadian government was, like, stopping people from helping put out the fire. Mm-hmm. because, And it became a whole political issue. Uh, I know some famous – so to make a long story short, um, there are YouTube channels that are all, all about animals, right? So, like, my dad watches the famous raccoon guy. He has raccoons come up on his porch and he feeds them hot dogs, you know, for example – you know, there are people who have like, you know, right. like chipmunks in their backyards or like there's a there's a YouTube channel all about bears in North Carolina. These bears come up and eat food off these guys porch. Right. So, well, a lot of the those kind of YouTube channel people, they were saying, hey, these fires are like really problematic because it's affecting like do we have to leave our homes. So then the news came out the next day. That, you know, hey, there's going to be a, a warning for air quality. I heard that yesterday, that there might be an air quality issue Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then last night, it was around midnight, I'm smelling outside this ridiculous smell. I'm like, ah, it's probably the warning that they came out with. And then today, New York City is under, like, 
Armageddon skies. Yeah, somebody uh, described it. It looks like an opening scene from like a Marvel movie. Yeah, it looks like when the Chitauri invaded New York City in Avengers. So the Yankees and the White Sox, they rescheduled their game. So then the Phillies, the, the Yankees, and I think there was a third game that has been postponed. So obviously, you know, I, I can't sit here and slam the Phillies at all because they wait. Like, I think they were told by Major League Baseball, like, hey, we're going to cancel these games. But uh, anybody who is like, what are they doing or why did they wait so long? Like, when did you think they were going to make this call? Like at two o'clock this afternoon, there was no thought that this could happen. I mean, Rob Thompson at 427, somebody tweeted that he said, oh, we're playing. Absolutely. By the way, the other game you're thinking of is the WNBA Lynx Liberty game. Well, there's been other games, too. I just saw uh, the Phillies, uh, I think, double-A team in Reading. So there's other things that are being affected here, but there you go. So there's a WNBA game? Well, why would there be a WNBA game? It's indoors. Uh, Well, they're saying that there there is a warning in New York City by health authorities. Because of the smoke. Got you. Well, New York City apparently is one of the worst right now. Yes. It is deemed had. And there's a code red in Pennsylvania. The statement says the New York York State Department of Health has recommended that individuals consider limiting any outdoor activities to reduce the risk of adverse health effects. I, I mean, this is unbelievable when you think about it. Like, I'll say, I'm reading the Yankees thing. So, again, like, look, I'm always the first to say, like, are you kidding me with the rain delays and the snow outs, the snows, you're calling the game the day before, the snow never ends up coming. I, I can't look at the Phillies and say, hey, what are you thinking here? Why did you wait so long? Um, to me, this came from, number one, Major League Baseball. And I think they made right. the decision before the gates opened. Correct. You know. They purposely did that. Now, we live down the shore. So for us, we may have to. It's a six o'clock game tonight, right? So, so I understand you may be leaving at four o'clock, like 4:30. in the four to four thirty area. But I can't say at four o'clock they should have had a decision made. The gates don't open till four thirty. If you have, I don't know how many people are going to the Phillies game tonight. Let's say thirty thousand, and I think I'm being kind. Uh, probably five thousand of those people are driving. From a long distance. From a long distance. Most of those people are in Philadelphia within a half an hour. And I think the Phillies and Major League Baseball got the message out there before. Look, if they would have opened up the stadium, and then once you're in the stadium, the thing where they get criticized for is when they open up the stadium and then they make you sit there right. till 7 o'clock. That's not cool. Exactly. This here, I, I, I can't, I don't have any problem with the way this was handled uh, and again, I don't think this was the teams. I think this was Major League Baseball making the decision because it all came streamlined down at the same time. Right. That all three of those games. I thought there was a third game. I'm not seeing another baseball game right now. I'm also seeing that the NWSL Women's Soccer Professional League game in Harrison, New Jersey, has also been postponed. Yeah. Well, there's a lot happening. So... The Tigers and Phillies game postponed due to hazardous air quality conditions as a result of the Canadian wildfires. So that's Giants one. and Jets were both given off today from any type of workout. That's another interesting thing. You know, whether or not the Eagles tomorrow, they were had their day off today from OTAs. Are they just going to wave that off tomorrow? 
By the way, uh, Belmont Park has announced that uh, training went on as planned ahead of Saturday's Triple Crown horse race. Yeah, well. Read into that what you will. Uh, I, I tell you what, this is one of the more bizarre situations. But, you know, it, again, it, I think um, Wheeler, by the way, was supposed to pitch tonight for the Phillies. I would imagine he pitches tomorrow. I, would, I, I do want to uh, go to this real quick. Um, so the Canadian Wildfires forces some cancellations in baseball. WNBA, and as you said, a couple other ones now. Um, the Phillies win the game last night, one to nothing, a Kyle Schwarber home run. He leads off the game with that home run. And there's been so many questions about Schwarber hitting leadoff here. I think I read today, um, let me see what the exact number is, but I think since, um, I gotta see what his numbers are. Um, Schwarber in this leadoff spot. Now, he had a run as the leadoff hitter about three weeks ago that he was like 0 for 10, I think he was. Right? Yeah, he was struggling. He was like 0 for a It was young... like four games. Yeah, four straight games he struggled. They put him in there for four games. He did not have a hit, and then they moved him back. But since they moved him back to the to the leadoff spot here in the last, you know, I think they moved him there Friday night. But in the last seven days... Uh, Schwarber has three home runs, seven RBI. His on-base percentage is 344. Uh, slugging percentage is almost 600. His OPS is now 936 in the last week here. But you're starting to see some signs of him turning the corner a little bit. But I guess my question would be this. Like, if Trey Turner starts to get going a little bit, in the month of June, by the way, uh, for Schwarber, which is, you know, Six games in the month of June. Right. He's hitting 250 with three home runs, seven RBI. His OPS is 1.024, I mean, which is outstanding. But I guess my question is if Schwarber, you know, is doing what he's doing right now in the leadoff spot, but if Trey Turner gets kind of cooking here and starts to get going again, I'm really intrigued to see what they would end up doing with him. Do they keep him in the four hole? Do you just say, hey, you got yourself? Because. I don't think there was ever any thought of hitting him four. Like, no, this is not something that they not. thought about doing when they got him. But I guess the question is, if Schwarber starts to continue, continues to produce here, which, you know, right now he is. He's batted nine games in the, in the leadoff spot this season. Nine. And obviously the last week he, he has had his best week seemingly of the season. But if Turner starts getting hot all of a sudden, and he had four for five the other night, but he hasn't had a hit since then. But let's just say he starts to get going, and all of a sudden, do the Phillies view him as the guy they want hitting number four? I, I feel like that's a very – I was thinking about this last night. Like, are they going to keep him in the number four hole? Why like, not? Or does Castellanos go back to four and Turner go to two eventually? That'll be something interesting that Dave, uh, Dave, that Rob Thompson in the front office is going to have to really reevaluate, I think. Because I don't think this current batting lineup, the configuration, will stay the same. I don't think, I mean, Castellanos hits two and Turner hits four. I, maybe it does. I don't know. I just, I don't think that was their intentions. I don't think this is their intentions when they signed Trey Turner that he was going to hit in the number four hole. It may not be their intention, but if it's not broke, why you fix it? If if Schwarber is hitting 
great in the leadoff it's spot. Not Turner as much as it is Turner. It, well, Turner is if Turner for whatever reason keeps hitting well in the four, why move him? Why change it? Well, I, I it's Ride a fair it question to ask, but again, I go back to when they signed him. It's hey, we have a we have a guy that's a leadoff man or a number two hole hitter. Well, they also signed him with the idea that Reese Hoskins would be at first base in this lineup too. You know how many times Trey Turner has hit fourth in his career? I would have guessed maybe two or three. Uh, as of right now, he has hit in the number four hole in five games. And, and I imagine they are recently. all in the last three <laughs> five days. He has 17 <laughs> plate appearances as a number four hole hitter in his career. Um, he has 486 games. He has hit leadoff. 279 games, he has hit second. 91 games, he has hit third. And he has hit fourth in five games. So I go back, like, I, I go back to my thought of like, if Trey Turner, are they, are they going to keep him in this spot long term? Like if he starts, you, know, you say, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But I just can't imagine they say, this is what we signed this guy and where we want to hit to him in the lineup. We want to maximize what he does well. That's the whole thing. You want to maximize what everybody does well, and that's how you put a lineup together. You have a guy at the top of the lineup who has speed and can run. Castellanos is not that guy. Now, Castellanos is hitting the ball. He's putting the ball in play. He's making, you know, but he doesn't move. He doesn't have a great, he doesn't have a lot of speed. But they don't look at baseball like that anymore. The, the modern analytics guys don't care about speed at the top of the lineup. They're looking at it as, does this guy get on base? Is this guy making contact? What's his, you know, all those types of things. I mean, we are literally living in a world. Yeah, but his world. is different. He, there's a difference between a guy hitting for power and like Castellanos right now, as good of a season he's having, he is not a guy hitting for a lot of power. So no, if you're hitting not. a lot of singles and stuff, the difference is getting him around the bases. Like Schwarber's different because he hits home runs. He's not hitting singles. So you don't have to labor him all the way around the bases a lot. Sure. The hard part is getting Castellanos, if he singles, is getting him around the bases because he doesn't have a lot of speed. Whereas Turner, at the top of your lineup, he gets on first, he steals second, now he's on second base, and he scores on a, you know, he scores on almost anything. I, that's where, you know, I see somewhere down the road, when and how they make the decision to, to possibly morph those two guys back to their original spots in the lineup, if that in fact happens. But I definitely think that is probably the next kind of decision that whoever makes the Phillies lineup, if you think it's Rob Thompson, if you think it's the front office as David Sampson has said on our show, he, you know, he says the front office generally makes the lineup. The manager just is there to execute, the execute vision. it. Right. So I've, I've kind of joked that I think Sam Fold is the guy who makes the lineup because he's from Tampa. He's from Tampa. Very analytical. And by the way, Sam Fold also played in the major leagues. So he, he does actually. Yeah. He was know, a player. He, he fits the mold of the baseball guy. He played the game, right? He's a baseball guy. And he's analytics making a lineup. Yeah. Um, that really messes with people's heads, you know. Mike, I left Philly at 4, drove by the stadium at 4.30, and it was bad. Saw the sun when I passed Williamstown. Conditions improving as I approach Atlantic uh, Ocean City compared to Philly. 
So, yeah, I'm looking outside here. When I, when we went to break earlier the day, I went outside. And, I mean, I walked to lunch earlier today, and, and I would not have had any idea that something was going on. And that was around 12. But by 2 o'clock when we went on the air, now we're in a studio that doesn't have any windows. They can't right. see out the windows here. So I had no clue. When I went out to lunch at noon, and then when I came back from lunch at 12.30, I did, would not have had any indication that something was like this going on. We would be very bad weathermen because of our way our studio is set up. Yeah, I mean, there's not great, you know, I can't see outside. I don't know what it looks like right now outside, but like he's saying, I've, got, I've seen some pictures. I saw somebody post a picture of Citizens Bank Park, and it's very hazy. Well, somebody else posted a picture of, like, Stone Harbor, and you would not know anything's happening down in Stone Harbor right, right. now. Yeah. So the Phillies game, for those of you just tuning in, has been postponed tonight. But uh, that that was my thought about Turner Schwarber in the lineup. And the partridge in a pear tree. Where, yeah, those two things. Uh, where they may end up. But doesn't also some of this have to do with who else is in the lineup? Like, for example, when you sign Trey Turner... You sign it with the idea that Reese Hoskins would be in your lineup. Right now, there's no Alec Bohm in this lineup. What happens if and when Derek Hall returns to this lineup? Like, does it also some of this decision making have to do with who's actually in the lineup? Sure. I mean, you don't, but I still think you would have Castellanos as more in the four area than you would in the two spot. In theory, yes. I just don't know. I mean, I agree. Like, hard, well, put it this way. I didn't view Hoskins as a two-hole hitter. They did. Right. But I do think that Hoskins was going to hit in the middle of the lineup this year, like four or five. Right. And that certainly changes things. But I definitely think that there was no conversation of, hey, let's sign Trey Turner for $300 million and hit him in the number four hole, considering he has hit number four zero times in his career entering the season, I imagine. I think all five times were in this particular season. I could be wrong about that. I he's think, only played I think he has only batted two. in the five hole. He's only hit in the four hole five games in his entire career. Now I, I can go find out. Yeah, let me find out exactly because I I vaguely remember us looking up Trey Turner in his his slots for and I remember he did hit in the four hole at, at some point before he got to Philadelphia, but it was only a couple games. He's hit one other game. Before coming to Philly, he hit one game. This year, he has hit in the four-hole four times, and he only has five career games so in the four-hole. before here, it was one. Yes. So okay. this year, he has hit in the four-hole four times, and he has five career games in the four-hole. So, yeah, he he's only hit one game in the four-hole in his entire career. Because this year, by the way, he has hit second 41 times. He has hit leadoff 14 times. And by the way... In the leadoff spot, he hit 250 as opposed to in the two hole where he only hit 231. Now in the four hole in the four games, he's hitting 313 with two home runs in a very, very, very small sample size. So I can't imagine my, my point is when they signed him for $300 million, I don't think there was any scenario where they said, Hey, this guy's going to go and hit number four in our lineup. Oh, no, listen, I totally agree with that, but I think circumstances have changed. And I think that, that has to be part of the conversation because when we were talking about this team, Months ago, it was with one look, and now it's a totally different look. I mean, yeah, between... the circumstances have changed, yes, but generally, 
when things change, you don't change your key. Like, you're not moving Bryce Harper. He stays in this spot where he was signed to be three. The fact that they had to make the move with a guy they paid $300 million for, that is the odd part about this. It is. I do agree with that. Yeah. I just I just think it's interesting that the Phillies just – they do things that are different than what we expect anyway. So I kind of take the approach of that, hey, you know what? I wouldn't put Castellanos in the two-hole. I would put Bohm in the two-hole, for example. I like Bohm at the top of the lineup. But this team says, no, nah, I don't care what you think down there in South Jersey because we got analytics that show that X, Y, Z. Problem, the difference is, though, Castellanos and Bohm, I don't think, overlapped. Castellanos went to the two-hole when Bohm left the lineup because of injury. So Bohm could have gone there had he been healthy. It wasn't either or. Castellanos moved. I'll just use Bohm as an example. Right, because I like Bohm in that spot, too. Like, for too. example, last year, you could have put Bohm in the two-hole, Hoskins in the four- or five-hole, and I don't think it would have been, like, some, like, horrible difference, but the Phillies said, nope, we want Hoskins there. Well, they did put Bohm in the three-hole when Harper got hurt. Right. So, I don't think that Bohm last year was really in position to hit in that spot. I think his approach has been much better this year. And I like him more in the two or three spot than I like even Castellanos right now. But look, I get it. The injuries have caused it. But I just think down the line for the people listening, Trey Turner, is he going to be the long-term number four guy on this team? I think that's probably a stretch. Hey, thinking about dinner this weekend, we're getting close to the weekend. Tomorrow night, Trio North Wildwood opens. They're open Thursday through Saturday, now until June 21st. Then they'll be open on Wednesday through uh, Monday down at Trio North Wildwood, 700 New Jersey Avenue. The cuisine, fantastic. The selections on the menu, outstanding. And the desserts, I tell you what, you can go just for appetizers, BYOB, with a bunch of friends, sit outside, table for two, table for 10, table for 20. They can accommodate you and your friends, but reservations recommend it on Resi. Go to Resi.com, R-E-S-Y, or call 609-796-2446. That's my friends at Trio North Wildwood. Now, Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. I would swallow my pride, I would choke on the rise, but the lack thereof would leave me empty 5.33 on a Wednesday, Phil's canceled tonight due to poor air quality. I think that's the first for the Phil's anyway. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Uh, all I know is Schwarber has to lead off, obviously. Solo home runs are the key to success. Schwarber will have 40 homers and 80 RBI, which is about what he had last year, and they went to the World Series. So what are we complaining about? You want to go back to the World Series, or do you want Schwarber hitting 160 in the uh, five-hole? Which one do you like more? <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. I mean, you can have and complain about a lot of solo home runs, but if it's going to lead you to where you're going to go... What's the difference? You can have a guy hitting in the five hole doing nothing, uh, or you can have a guy producing in the one hole. I think uh, right now, why would we complain? If he starts to struggle and uh, it becomes a problem again, yeah, I think we can say, why won't they? They have other options, but now we're complaining that Schwarber hits a home run and um, you know has 80 RBI when he was hitting Zippo in the five hole. I mean, we would just rather have a guy hit there because he looks like he belongs there. 
I just don't understand this idea that like, you know, what's more important? Is, is it winning or not? Like, shouldn't the guy I don't be care who hits where if yeah. you're winning. If you're telling me Schwarber hit 40 homer and has 80 ribbies and they're in the playoffs or he hit 40 homers and had 135 RBI and they're not, and in, they're the not in the playoffs, now that wouldn't happen. They wouldn't hit 40 home runs at 135 RBI. Well, he might have used Juan Gonzalez with the Texas Rangers in the 90s, but... <sighs> yeah, but uh, then he would probably be doing steroids. <laughs> uh, good, Cole good, from good. LBI says, if Turner can start hitting, put him back at one, have Schwarber at two. Look, I would prefer Turner. If, if Schwarber's going to hit, I, I don't want to keep moving him all over the place. If he's going to hit at one, just keep him there. I would prefer Turner to hit at the top of the lineup in the number one. I would have hit Turner one all season. I don't know why they went with Stott one and then Turner two. I'm not sure. My theory behind it is Harper being left-handed. And they wanted to have Turner split the two lefties apart. That makes a lot of sense. My other theory would have been that they wanted some protection behind Stott in the one slot, maybe. Like put like a, a you know, putting Stott behind Turner has less impact than Turner behind Stott, maybe. And then the problem with this guy's, you know, said, Hey, put Schwarber in the two hole is the same problem. Now you have Schwarber left-handed and right. Harper left-handed. Correct. The problem being that the amount of lefties they have in the lineup makes it hard to stock stack the lineup in the configuration that makes the most sense. Correct. Like, realistically, if you could just say, hey, let's put the lineup together, at the beginning of the year you might say Turner, Stott, Harper, Schwarber. The problem is... Two, three, and four all hit left-handed. Correct. So you can't do that. So I think that is what initially moved Turner. Well, keep in mind, you thought you had Hoskins. Correct. So you could have conceivably done something to where you had Turner, Schwarber, Harper, Hoskins. No, excuse me. Turner. Turner, Hoskins, Harper. No, no, no. Hoskins hitting behind Harper in the four hole, Schwarber in the two hole. Oh, uh, okay. So right. Turner, so then, but you would have then had Schwarber and Harper, two left-handers back to back. The, the big change been... in that. There's two big changes here. One, Hoskins getting hurt reconfigured everything. Two, you also keep in mind at the beginning of this season, Castellanos was not under consideration of hitting where he is now because he came off a season where he hit 260 right. with 13 home runs. So you really didn't look at Castellanos as a big, you know, impact bat in this lineup in March. In March, you were looking at a lineup that could have had, you know, Turner at the top of the lineup. Stott was not a guy that you really thought about hitting at the top of the lineup. I think Stott ended up going to the top of the lineup because Hoskins went out. When Hoskins went out, they tried to get creative. And keep in mind, not only was Hoskins out, so was Harper. Right. So once Harper... You didn't have Harper for a month. You didn't have Harper for a month. So with Harper out and and Hoskins out, the two of those guys, you're essentially missing your three-hole and your four-hole hitter for a, a month. Now, you've lost Hoskins for the entire season, but... But still, you, that allowed them. To, that I don't say allowed them. It made them move. It forced Stott, them to make decisions they didn't want to. Right. It made them put Stott at the top of the lineup, with the thought that when Harper comes back, we don't want the lefties because of Schwarber. 
was hitting in the in the four spot. He was hitting in the three hole. He was essentially holding the spot for Harper. So when they had that happen, they put Turner in the two hole to break up the lefties. Well, now you have Harper coming back, who's another lefty. So now it is conf- it is complicated what to do at the top of the lineup anymore because three of your top hitters are all left-handed. You throw Marsh into the conversation if you want, who's been one of your more productive bats this year. And he's got to hit at the bottom of the lineup because essentially he's left-handed. I mean, I've never seen a team so left-handed uh, heavy like this. Um, but I don't know. Do the Phillies view Harper as a guy – you know, that striving, mean, look, you don't want lefties facing lefties if you don't have to. But do the Phillies look at Bryce Harper and say, we don't want to bat lefties back to back because of that? It's not, to me, it's not, it's late in the game where this becomes the issue. Where you got that lefty in the bullpen who is just, you know, wicked left-hander. Right. It's not so much the, the starter throughout the course of the game that gets you. I don't know, um... Would they consider just saying, hey, hit Harper and Schwarber back-to-back? Eh, they might. Maybe. I I think it would depend on maybe the rest of the lineup. Like, I mean, the, the, today's lineup had, what, three straight guys that left-handed, right? It was uh, Marsh. Well, they are facing a right-handed pitcher. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're and facing, they're facing the Tigers. If you're facing a right-handed pitcher... Do you and, – and you know there's a bullpen that doesn't have a lot of lefties in it. Like, remember, they opened the season – Against the Rangers, and if, like the whole Rangers bullpen was left-handed, mm-hmm. they're going against a team that doesn't have that kind of bullpen. Is there a part of you that says, "Hey, Schwarber, Harper, back to back, go for it"? Harper against lefties in his career is a two sixty hitter, so he's not terrible. Obviously, uh, against right-handed hitters, he's two eighty nine, so he's considerably, you know, he's thirty points higher against righties than he is against lefty. Now, Schwarber, um, on the other hand, let's see what Schwarber is against left-handers, because Schwarber doesn't have a good batting average to begin with. Right. But <laughs> what is Schwarber's career batting average? He is a career 229 hitter. Man, yeah, that is terrible. Uh, 229 is his career batting average. But against lefties, he hits 203. Against righties, he hits 238. 203 is just not good. It just isn't. I he mean, still have a good batting average. No, just but who he is. His home runs against lefties, though, he only has 35 homers against lefties as opposed to 180 homers against righty. He's significantly. So to have him and Harper back to back, I know Harper kind of picks up the slack, so it's not as big of a deal, but I just don't think that they want to stack those two guys together. And then again, you throw Stott into the mix. Yeah, I think also when you think about how they're building this team, and again, I'm I'm projecting, but my assumption would be that when Boehm comes back, that's going to change. I don't know. They lives. haven't had a propensity to want to hit Boehm in the in the upper half of the lineup. He has consistently been six, seven down in the box. Now, the only time they hit him in the top half of the lineup was when Harper went out last year. Yes, exactly. But um, he has not. For whatever, like I'm looking at Alec Bohm, where has he hit in the Phillies lineup? And let's see, he had that little run as the three hole hitter last year. And by the way, in that three spot in the lineup, 
he hit 50 games. He hit 294. I mean, he had 294 with five homer and 28 RBIs in 50 games last year. You map that out, you know, over 100 games, he's got, you know, 10. You add another 50, 15. He's got, you know, 15 home runs hitting in the three-hole there. Um, his best spot in the order, uh, I mean, he hasn't really hit anywhere. In seventh, he's hit 89 times. Okay. And he's been okay there, 271. Seven home runs in 89 games. If he hits in the five hole, he's 233, not good. His best spot has really been three or four. In the four hole, he's hit 342, and he's hit there 11 times. So really three or seven has been his best. Two. I mean, in the eight hole, he's hit 375, but I don't think on this team he, he would be in the eight spot. Here, the, the big picture problem is the amount of left-handers that they have – it's not playing Detroit on Wednesday night, which is canceled, by the way. Tomorrow they're going to play on Thursday night. It's playing Houston in October. If you have Stott, Schwarber, and Harper back-to-back-to-back and they get into their bullpen, you're, you're in trouble. That's the problem, where you're so left-handed. So, yeah, to go back to that text message, personally, I wish they had a little bit more, you know, like Har- Bohm in the two-hole, for instance, is 286. Now, his on-base percentage isn't great in that two-hole. It's 322. His on-base percentage overall is not all that great, uh, Boehm, as a career. But he has performed better in the top half of the lineup than he had in the bottom half of the lineup. So for whatever reason. But I wouldn't mind seeing maybe a Turner 1, Boehm 2, Harper 3. Castellanos is showing you that he's kind of handling 4. And then Schwarber, the problem is Schwarber right now is at the top of the lineup and he's producing. Turner is not. And that's what kind of spearheaded the conversation is. If Turner gets going again, and he better, <laughs> he better, what do you do with him? Do you just say, hey, you finally got going, we're going to keep you at four? Or do you say you finally got going, we're going to put you back what you brought, where we brought you here for? That's what I think is, is going to be a conversation here if he gets going. And I just go back to wherever a guy hits, just let him go there and ride it until he runs out of uh, the hot seat. 545 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Right now, uh, NBA Finals are tied 1-1. The team that wins game three wins 80% of the time. So who wins tonight? Listen on 97.3 ESPN. Heat, Nuggets, game three. From Miami. Also, this Saturday, we've got Phillies and Dodgers for you on 97.3 ESPN. And Josh tonight will have a opportunity. He'll tell you a little bit more about this on game night for you to win tickets to see Brian Dawkins this Saturday, right? This Saturday, yep. This Saturday. He'll give you more details on that coming up on the Sports Bash Live uh, Rob Motti will join him tonight with more details on all that, on how you can meet um, Brian Dawkins this weekend. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We're closing out the show. Coming up next. Now, Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Right, we're getting ready to get out of here on a uh, Wednesday night. So uh, no fills tonight. They are postponed due to poor air quality. How many men uh, have their wife look over at them tonight in the bedroom and say, poor air quality in here. (laughs) 
<laughs> right, I see that guy driving down the street, right? Like, it says, my wife looks over at me and says, poor air quality. I see you all the time, right? Uh, so no fills tonight. What do you got on the agenda? NBA Finals. Going to NBA Finals. It's an 8.30 start, so the Phil's game last night would have been over by then. It's a good thing I go to the gym. Right? The Phil's game's at 6, two and a half, two hours and seven minutes yeah. last night. The game would have been done. These early Phil's games kill me because I'll be on the air with game night and the game's already on. <laughs> I'm like trying to do the show. You know how it is. trying to do the show and watch the game. So game night tonight, Rob Motti. What's uh, going on with Brian Dawkins? Yeah, so Brian Dawkins and Rob Meyer having an event up in Valley Forge this Saturday. And we're going to give away tickets for people to go see the event where Brian Dawkins is going to be there and speaking. So you have uh, four tickets to give away for that tonight. Yes, we do. Very cool. Very cool. So listen for your chance to win that. Yeah, Rob will be on in uh, less than an hour. Cool, cool, cool. Um, also, so you were asking... Um, I ask a lot of dumb questions. You gotta be more specific. Oh, I know. I, that's true. Um, you were asking about, uh, so the NBA finals tonight at 8.30. Yes. Uh, it's, it's game three tonight. The winner has won the series 80% of the time. So, I feel like, now, it says since 2011 that the, the trend has kind of changed. The game three winner isn't as, like, stone cold lead pipe lock. Right. But I feel like the Nuggets are in trouble if they lose this game tonight. I feel like if the Nuggets lose this game, they lose like their entire mojo, don't you? Well, they've already lost the mojo. They lost at home. They hadn't lost yet in the entire playoffs at home, and now they lose at home. So I feel like, yes, they've already kind of – but if they lose tonight, I think Miami's going to win this series, and I can't believe we're talking about this. This is the ultimate, like – Keith Smith said earlier, like – I don't know what to think about this team anymore. You throw everything out the window when you're talking about Miami because simply they're just shooting the lights out right now. And we talk about a lot. Baker Miss League. Well, they are making, 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 making. And could they make enough to win an NBA championship? That is the most unbelievable thought of them all when you think about it. How about Messi signing with MLS? So my buddy and I were talking about this. Uh, he was texting me during one of the breaks. And he says, Messi, Messi. I said, well, it's a shame no one will see him ever. <laughs> and he said, well, they'll be putting him on a prime tomorrow all the time. I said, yeah. Uh, in case of the fact TV that you plus. forgot that MLS signed a 10-year <laughs> deal with, M- uh, with Apple TV Plus. All MLS games for the next 10 years are on Apple TV. So you might never see Messi. I know I won't. I don't think I've ever seen Messi, period. I don't think I've ever seen Messi play. I've seen him play in the World Cup. I don't, I, I, I've watched so little World Cup. I watched when USA played a couple games, but that's it. And I've never seen him play against USA. That's because you're a red-blooded American, Mike. Well, Apple TV Plus I don't have. So even if I loved Messi at this point, I don't I don't have Apple TV Plus. How many people do you think are actually signing up for Apple I can't TV imagine. Plus just because of MLS? I can't imagine anybody um you know, like how many people are watching baseball games Friday nights on ML on Apple TV? How many people are watching the Sunday afternoon games on Peacock? I mean, I just can't imagine the numbers that they're getting. Look, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball doesn't even get a million people watching. 
And that's the biggest baseball audience that you get during period. How many people could actually be watching whoever plays on Friday night on Apple and MLS games? I mean, who is watching an MLS game on TV between two randos? I'd go, but I'm just saying two random teams. Like, I don't know. Miami's playing Portland, the Timbers. Yeah, Portland Timbers. Got that one right. Seattle Sounders. I'm out. I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll recap game number three. I'm looking forward to it. We're sports back tomorrow right here on 97.3.